Hey everybody, Connor here. Uh, thanks for tuning in to our latest Final Frame episode, which is about Peter Bogdanovich. Uh, we talk quite a bit about his career, but we focus mainly on his last film, She's Funny That Way. Uh, that was its title upon release. It was originally a much different cut entitled Squirrels to the Nuts. Uh, we were fortunate enough to watch that version of the film and uh, you'll listen to us as we kind of compare, contrast, talk about how it all came to be and how our guest, James Kenny, uh, saved Bogdanovich's cut from oblivion in a truly remarkable story. We meant to mention at the top that if you are in New York, you can actually catch the movie premiering at MoMA uh, March 28th with an introduction by James, and it will be screening there through April 5th. So if you, like us, are huge fans of Bogdanovich and you want to see the official uh, release of Squirrels to the Nuts after all these years, you can check that out at MoMA March 28th through April 5th. Uh, without further ado, here is our final frame episode talking about Peter Bogdanovich. Say it's only a paper moon Sailing over a cardboard sea But it wouldn't be make-believe if you be Hello everybody, welcome to another episode of the B-Side Podcast yes, for the film stage here. We usually talk about movie stars and or movie directors but not the movies that made them famous or kept them famous but the ones that they made in between today we are spinning it a little differently we are going to do our second installment of what we are calling third, third? yeah Hitchcock, what was our first Hitchcock, baby oh i forgot hitchcock all right well third <laughs> who was on our hitchcock Nate Washburn, who gave us the idea. Okay, for this okay. Whole thing. Who, who? I can we say congratulations to Nate Washburn? He just had a baby. Yeah, he's a father. Nate, congrats, now. love Nate. I was just emailing with Nate. All right, so Nate and Bilga, or Hitchcock and Kubrick, were our first two final frames. Indeed. And you're right, of course. Nate gave us the idea, so shout out to Nate. Actually, it's good that you. It's good I made that mistake because we got to shout him out. Yeah. This is our third installment, as I so succinctly said before, and it's a it's a quite timely one. Um, the subject is Peter Bogdanovich, the great Peter Bogdanovich. Um, we're going to talk about his final film, which you may know as "She's Funny That Way," but you'll you'll come to find out if you don't already know, it really should be called "Squirrels to the Nuts." And there's plenty more where that came from. And our lovely guest today, who really isn't is really an expert in this specific yeah. field, so it's it's great to and have a, him. And a, a cinematic hero, almost. Uh, well, yeah, yeah. Well, that's a whole nother. Which, which we will get to. Uh, yes, that's minute, that's but. well said. Um, but but his his name is James Kenny. His website is tremblesiwonder.com. Definitely check it out. And we'll be referencing a couple pieces that are on that site. He is also he also teaches English for the city of New York. James, welcome. How are you this evening? I am. Good. I am well. Thanks for having me. No, it's our pleasure. So, yeah, I mean, Bogdanovich um, passed away sadly earlier this year. We're recording March 2022 for those listening in the future. And this is a guy who it's weird, right? Because he so and, and we'll just start. We're going to talk about his last film and there's plenty to talk about, like I said. But as we just kind of start with with most of our podcasts, you know, where did Bogdanovich come into our lives is kind of how we'll start. So, like, just 
for me, I was trying to track it back. And I'll be honest, it's hard. It's hard for me to remember what would have been the first movie of his that I saw because there's not like, you know, so he, he wants, he's going to be an actor maybe when he's a younger man, he kind of trips into directing while studying theater. Right. And James, please correct me in any of this, but, but long, but basically he becomes early on in his childhood, someone who's devouring movies and reviewing them. And, and he, he becomes really like a professional appreciator of films and is kind of a critic in a way. And then gets connected with Corman still relatively young. And his first official movie is targets. And that gives him kind of the enough cachet in the Hollywood scenario that leads him to what is an amazing one, two, three punch of movies, right? Which is kind of, it's, I, I don't even know what other directors have a run like this at early in their career where he basically does um, Last Picture Show, What's Up Doc, and Paper Moon and Succession. They're all huge hits and critical darlings. Like, And so I guess my this is all to say, for, for I guess it's What's Up Doc. That's my favorite of his movies. It's like one of my favorite movies ever made. I, I guess that's the one you are that I was introduced to. You are wearing currently your Barbara Streisand t-shirt. Well, yeah, this is the yeah. Sorry, so, Streisand. Is, Streisand. This is uh, a. Um, <laughs> it's a. It's a. It's a. It's not a, not a visual medium, but yeah. this is the super yaki. I think it's Yentl actually. It's yeah. the, it's right. Barbara's credits from her 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 uh, her very good musical Yentl. Um, but James, I guess so. Um, well, actually, because I want you to go along in this, James Connor. What about you? What's your first? Bogdan. Mine would. I'm gonna be kind of a a, a bit of a dude about Texasville. It, or, it was Texas. It was in Texasville, okay. but the last picture show was the first time I saw boobs in a movie. I'll just there you go. So yeah, just classic like, iconic. Scene. It just stuck with me, right? Of course. Um, yeah. And I didn't realize that until after the fact. Like I think my sister had been watching that. And I was young and I had walked into the room and she was like, oh, well, there are Civil Shepherd's boobs. And I was like, oh, OK, those are. But, yeah, that's the long way of saying last last picture show, I think, was my intro. Right. Right. And you're referring to there's the, a quite iconic scene in the film is the kind of skinny dipping at the pool party scene. Randy Quaid invites her. Uh, JC is the character's name. And at the time, very, you know, well, I guess was a controversial. Do you know, was it was that like a. Were people aghast at that scene at that time? I, I oh, no, I mean, it was 71 and the film was right. rated R and Civil Shepherd wasn't famous. So I don't think it was particularly. I mean, okay, it was, yeah. what was unusual about the film was its sort of frankness and it wasn't going for titillation. And uh, right. It was just, you there. know, yeah. And it had sort of, I guess, I guess you could argue maybe, although I don't think it was really controversial, but uh, the, the way the way Bogdanovich had to talk Ben Johnson into his film, Ben Johnson didn't want to do it. Great, right. Uh, and, jo and, jo and it struck me as very odd because Ben Johnson later did Terror Train and movies like that. Yeah. And I'm like, well, why would he do Terror Train but not do Last Picture <laughs> Show? But I guess it was just because, I mean, like Last Picture Show was a film with a with a certain amount of cursing and nudity and things like that that maybe an old school guy like Ben Johnson right. uh, wouldn't quite. That's interesting. So, so, I mean, I mean, at some level, but I mean, I think the film was just part of that whole new Hollywood by that right. point, you know, the, the, the good directors were spitting out movies left and right, where starting with Easy Rider, really, right? When the director is the auteur right. and, you know, in Hollywood, meaning all the big budget 60s films were flopping. And then these guys were coming in and making Easy Rider and Sweet Sweet Backs, Badass Song or whatever, you know? Yeah, right? yeah, and, yeah. 
Um, and, and so at some point, I think the studio just sort of gave up for a few years until they re, you know, figured it until, out again with Jaws, right? You know, until people, until until Spielberg know. and then Chimino in, in equal but totally opposite ways ruined yeah. it all. No. Um, <laughs> but James, yeah, I mean, so yeah. Basically what you said, if I could just, I, I would mm-hmm. just sort of riff off of it for a second, is that basically, yeah, he never called himself a critic. He always said he was a champion of films. You know, he didn't want to have go. any interest in criticizing. It was more, you know, he got a job at MoMA and he was programming Howard Hawks and writing about Howard Hawks and writing about Fritz Lang just because he loved them. And he really did have an unusual uh, introduction because him and his wife, Polly Platt, came out to Hollywood uh, and he worked as the second unit director on the Wild Angels for for uh, Roger Corman. He, you could see him getting beaten up by Hell's Angels in various uh, scenes from the movie. And, and, and I think the key was that he got hired by Corman before Corman had really set up New World and had his formula going. In other words... Corman went to Bogdanovich and said, I got 20 minutes of the terror footage, or Boris Karloff and the terror. Uh, I want you to make a movie around it. And most directors would have just come up with some sort of B script about the, you know, 19th century or whatever that footage takes place, you know, where you have Jack Nicholson and, and Boris Karloff in these, these costumes and just tried to, you know, cut their teeth on making a movie. Um, and Bogdanovich is like, no, this, this is crap. I'm going to, you know, so, so he ends up writing a whole script, a modern script about modern violence versus, and I think a couple of years later, Corbin might have said, what the hell is this? Because guys like Scorsese, you know, they were stuck doing Boxcar Birth, which was great. I mean, it was a godsend, but they were doing basically, Corbin said, give me a movie with nudity every eight minutes, you know, death every 10 minutes. It can have a social message, but we need that nudity and death. And, you know, it has to be done for a low budget. But that was when he was running New World. This was still before that happened. And so, I mean, to his credit, which sort of talks about what you said about Bogdanovich early on. He was so, I don't, I don't want to say clueless, he just said, well, this is the best thing I can give you, and he gave it to Corman, and Corman, to his credit, said, okay, do it, you know, and, and he made his very unique film targets, where basically the footage that Corman gave him, he turns it into a movie within a movie. Boris Karloff plays an actor, and that's the bad movie he was in that they keep showing clips from. And so remember, Bogdanovich never went to film school. I'm not sure he graduated high school. That's one thing I got to double check. He never went to college. That much I know. Mm. Um, hey, I think he, I think yeah. you're right about that. I think he yeah. may have dropped out. Yeah, I think, I think, I think so. he mentioned. I think he mentions as much in that. Uh, and we should name check it because it's very good. But the Turner Classic Movies first season of uh, their podcast, The Plot Thickens. Wonderful. If you yeah. do want to hear it from the horse's mouth to a degree, um, Ben Mankiewicz does a series of great interviews with Bogdanovich. And the interesting thing is that he so he sort of starts off with success. He makes a brilliant film called Targets. And, and so like he's he's never really been told no, no in Hollywood. I'm oversimplifying things, you know, but mm. so last picture show he makes and and they're complaining about how he's shooting that because he's cutting in the camera. But Bert Schneider, the producer, says, don't worry, it's great. Or, or Raffleson says it. I think Bob Raffleson says, don't worry, it's great. That's a huge hit. And then Barbara Streisand wants to do a drama with him because of the last picture show. And he's like, no, I'm doing a comedy and you're going to star in that because that's the, what you haven't done before, Barbara. And, and it works. And that's a hit. And then Paper Moon, again, I'll do a black and white film with a 12-year-old girl as the lead. And that's a hit. And I mean, this just raises some issues. We'll talk about how Squirrels to the Nuts got to, you know, it's a guy who wasn't one of the film. He wasn't really in the crowd. He wasn't one of those guys who went to film school in California in the early, like the uh, right. He wasn't, yeah, he, he, he wasn't in that De Palma, Coppola, nope. Lucas, Spielberg, yeah. we're hanging out. We went to film school. He's not well, one Coppola, of those guys. Coppola is a little different because actually that, that's one reason why him and Coppola always got along. Coppola was directing by 1962 or something like true, that. It's true, it's true. There was the guys, De Palma, those guys were the film school brats. John Melius, you know, all those guys. John Melius, um, right. And so I'm, I'm just saying that's sort of like when um, 
Bogdanovich moving forward. I think sometimes like he had never he had never learned to play the game because early on, <laughs> unlike some other guys, the films he wanted to make were hits. You know, like like it's like when Coppola made the conversation, it was for that the production company they all shared. Great movie, but it wasn't a hit. Right. Um, Bogdanovich's film for that little group they tried to, to get going was Paper Moon. You know, Friedkin didn't even bother to make his movie. <laughs> it's like things like so. It's just like he his tastes were, rel- were were successful. I mean, his films were successful, and I don't think he was quite ready for when people got hostile. You know, towards him. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and even and even in even in the um, the TCM podcast, he and he he and I know he's told he said this in other places too. When he screened Daisy Miller for the studio, they were underwhelmed. And he and he asked, I think the studio had he's like, What'd you think of the movie? And 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 the guy, well, the guy's like, whoever I can't remember the name, he's like, it was all right. And he's like, just all right. And he's like, Well, you're Babe Ruth and you just bunted, right? And and I always think, you know, I'm look, I'm not actually I'm not a huge fan of Daisy Miller. I know, I think James, you're you're a bigger fan. I was like looking at your ranking on your on your Twitter there. And um and um I, I and look. Here's the thing: we could this could be a five hour podcast because we talk about all his movies for a long time. But but Daisy Miller is where it changes, right? Doesn't do well, and Sybil gets crucified at the time, for, and with some exceptions, but mostly crucified. Yeah, yeah, for being the lead and being miscast and all these things, and it's it's quite it's quite brutal. And 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 you know, and and in hindsight, I'm sure it's. There's a lot of misogyny involved. I don't but. think it was that bad. In other words, Daisy Miller, because it got a it got a rave review from Canby in the Times, you know, mm. and it was clearly an art house movie and it didn't cost a lot. It was the first time he didn't have his financial success, which threw him in the studios obviously liked him because he kept having finance, financial successes yeah. up to that point. But I mean, when he decided to make At Long Last Love, which was a flop, yeah. he did have carte blanche. I mean, he got the top actors and they were doing everything he said. So I don't think Daisy Miller really caused him troubles. At Long Last Love is the one when that was a failure. The studio. True. I guess I guess the point just being Daisy's when it, the winds begin to shift, I and, suppose. Yeah, right. Yeah. Kirk, correct me if I'm wrong here, but they they pivoted to At Long Last Love because they like wanted to make a palate cleanser together, basically. Like a like an easier, breezier movie than than Daisy Miller. Well, you mean because Sybil Shepherd's also in that long list. Yes, you have yeah, yeah. Burr Reynolds. It's a it's a stack cast, like James, like yeah. you said. Um, I wanted to mention though, James, just because talking about Bogdanovich in our lives, you wrote this beautiful piece, which is kind of spurred even being like, oh, this guy James Kenny wrote this thing. He you know squirrels to the nuts, and so and so it's called just on your site, which once again tremblesidewonder.com. You, you titled it, quote, you saved one of my best pictures, unquote, my adventures with Peter Bogdanovich and his lost last picture show. Indeed. And it is basically a very personal piece you wrote where you talk about seeing They All Laughed, that being your favorite um, of Bogdanovich's movies, and kind of haphazardly discovering um, a movie called Squirrels to the Nuts, which is kind of closer to Peter Bogdanovich's intended cut of what would then be retitled and released as she's funny that way, which came to be Peter Bogdanovich's last narrative film. Um, and do you want to just tell, give us a little bit of context there? Cause it's so fascinating. Well, yeah, I mean, I was raised in Staten Island, New York, which is just a ferry ride from Manhattan um, by a dad who didn't have a driver's license. So we're like the only person on Staten Island who didn't have a driver's license. So <laughs> our whole life was the ferry into Manhattan. We'd go to the various, uh, 
movie theaters and he, he was a, he's still alive he's retired he's 90 years old he's a he was an english professor at manhattan college which is in the bronx but you know he, he would he would hang out in manhattan with me and we'd go to old movies he was a he taught film appreciation classes so i would see things like white heat and the gold rush and and bandwagon at home on 16 millimeter prints um and so by around 1981 my mom had passed away that year she had cancer and so I think it's somehow, I mean, I, I was relatively cultured film kid. I mean, I still love Superman too and all those things, but I had seen Roman Holiday and Breakfast at Tiffany's mm -hmm. and things. And, um, and so I didn't see it in the theater. He, he did see it in the theater. Um, they all laughed, but then it played on Wilmette Go Home Theater, which was like HBO's little competitor back in the day. They would, you'd get a little box on top of your TV and uh, they on a UHF channel, they would broadcast, you know, mm -hmm. the, the, the films. Um, and he had me watch it. I mean, he did, he sat down like, oh, let's watch this. And it's not a movie for kids. It's PG rated. Again, again, with a few exceptions, like St. Jack, generally Budanovich makes films that are, you know, even the, his personal films are often PG films. You know, mm -hmm. he's not making ultra violent, you know, things. Um, but it's a film about adults just sort of roaming around New York City. And, and, and there's not much of a plot to it. It's more of a just a, a, a comic rondelet, you know, of various characters falling in and out of love. And it blew me away at the age of 11. I think largely because maybe as a Manhattan kid, it just showed this beautiful Manhattan you know, at a time when you know, it was still mostly films like Escape from the Bronx and things like that, or Escape from New York and, you know, uh, mm -hmm. uh, 1990, The Bronx Warriors and The French Connection, you know, where, where New York City was always used as a hellhole. Right. You know, all yeah. movies are, uh, you know, um, and this, this is a film that's like, no, it's a place where people randomly run into each other and you make friendships and connections and everybody knows everybody. And so, yeah, I, I fell for it and I saw it, you know, um, countless times over the next 40 years until it's about 40 years old now. <laughs> um and I became a huge fan, unfortunately, at the wrong moment, right? Because after Alas, Dorothy Stratton was murdered, um, Bedanovich had kind of a breakdown. He released the film on his own and it bankrupted him because he and, and then ultimately, so it was several years before he made Mask, his next film with Cher, uh, which is an excellent film, but it was a work for hire. And, and this is one thing that you may not have thought about, but Squirrels to the Nuts is his first self-generated work since they all left. In, in other words, everything since then was a work for hire. Uh, Mask was for Universal, and he did, initially didn't want to do it, but he was, I don't, I don't want to oversimplify him, you know, between financial difficulties mm -hmm. and people telling him he needs to work, he went out and made Mask. But then you may know the story, he sued Universal because they actually cut out about seven minutes behind his back and, and rescored it, um, taking out the Bruce Springsteen songs he had put that in the Bob Seger. Yeah. For Bob Seger, Bob Seger's very good, but it's he's not iconic the way Bruce Springsteen right, is. Right, right. Um, and, and I, apparently, from what I understand, Donovich still at that point did have a director's cut, you know, because he, he had because everybody recognized he was still a great director in a sense. You know, St. Jack and they all laughed, may have not made money, but they got a lot of great reviews. And uh, so I think the idea was Universal just said, oh, we're doing this, you know, because it's almost like we dare you to cause trouble. But Donovich was kind of an artist. He's like, damn it. <laughs> you know, so he yeah. sued them. Um, but it made him a pariah because, you know, who who complains about a hit film? It really was, in a sense, a comeback. It was a huge hit at the time. And it was, again, the kind of story that could be a TV movie. But Bogdanovich, once again, directs it with such sensitivity. You know, there's no score. He's not tugging your heartstrings, telling you how to feel. He's just staging it and shooting it. Um, but then, but then, you know, after that, he made Illegally Yours, which I've written about, the kind of disaster he made for De Laurentiis. Mm -hmm. Um but I'm, I'm kind of, you know, De Laurentiis was like willing to hire him. The studios had sort of, I think, said no way. Um, Texasville, of course, is just the idea. Well, what's a sell? We see that a lot today. I'm not so sure Matrix 4 was necessary. 
I think it's really what they could get funded. It's sort of like, you see that a lot where it's like, oh no, I really had to tell me. Well, but James, it's, it's funny. We've talked about this. 1990 is a weird year for that because you have three proto legacy sequels come out before it was normal because you have two, two Jakes. Jakes, Texasville and the Godfather three all come out. And it's, you know, the Godfather three was a hit and it did get nominated for a lot of Oscars though. Once the public saw, saw it, as we know, they really turned on it unfairly. I think, I think, it's actually a very good movie. All three films are pretty good. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, really true. They're all very good. They're, they're, they're all disasters, pretty good. But, yeah, yeah. But it, it was sort of a sign, though. Like you know, by 1990, I guess the Bruckheimers and the Don Simpsons had taken over, right. and so the, you know these these Chinatown and Texasville sequels seemed kind of quaint <laughs> or whatever. And like what? Yeah. And you know, people didn't really. I mean, Last Picture Show was like an art film. I mean, it is, I don't want to say it's an art film because almost anybody who sees it loves it, but it's black and white. You know, it's shot in black and white and yeah. it doesn't have any action. Yeah, it might feel like and homework to somebody, even if it's good, you know, even if they like it. Like, yeah, for about, but, yeah. And, but then and then a, a real director, Bigdonovich, says a sequel. He's like, I'm not going to remake Last Picture Show. All the things that are ultra serious to you when you're 18, they're kind of a big joke when you're 45. Mm -hmm. And Texasville is kind of a comedy with some really broad parts, which I don't think are wholly successful. But I think that yeah. it's sort of like all the stuff that you thought would kill you at 19 is just a joke on you when you're 45. So it's an artistic film, but it wasn't a success and it didn't really quite, you know, commercial success. And uh, but then Noises Off. I mean, these were all works for hire. Frank Marshall got him the Noises Off gig, Spielberg. Right. right. Uh, and um kind of a fun movie but didn't really make much oh it was a flop i, I saw that opening date was but i still I, I love that film and me and my dad went the opening saturday that opening weekend an afternoon show and my dad was very dubious because noises off is really such a theatrical play it would seem you know it's all about and about three minutes in my dad started laughing and never stopped laughing for the rest of the movie so again a lot of his films were out of time or whatever you want to say they weren't commercial successes thing called love wasn't even released in new york city the year it was made. I, um, this is one reason why Quentin Tarantino will forever be in my heart. It only opened in New York in 1999. It played at the Anthology Film Archives, which is sort of an offbeat. Um, yeah. And I went in 1999. I had already bought the Laserdisc. It was out on video on Laserdisc, but yeah. it finally had a theatrical release in New York City in 1999. I went opening day, like a four o'clock show or something on that Friday, and quietly walks in Quentin Tarantino, and he's sitting by himself, and he just watches the movie. Uh, and I'm like, okay, that guy's a real film fan. You know, it's like he's, <laughs> he's going to see a movie that I know he already saw on video, but he's like, I got to see this in a theater if I'm going to have the opportunity. And to his credit, too, I left. I didn't say anything to him. But when I turned around, he was just leaving quietly. Some guys ran after him trying to get autographs, and he was friendly. He turned around and then was friendly and shaking their hands. So whatever. Sometimes he drives me nuts, such as in the ending of She's Funny yeah, That Way. Yeah, I was going to say. <laughs> oh, God, right. I'm just saying, it's like, yeah. Yeah. yeah, we'll we'll talk yeah. about it. I just the, him being in that cameo is one of which the, was a which was a favor, right, to Peter. Yeah. Right, when they, well, they it's, it's because of that ridiculous I mean, the, the the new version, which has all this talk, 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 and this yeah. the, the image. It's like he kind of said, "God, I have to have something happen other than her just say." And this character is now in a women's shelter. And yeah. This so so Tarantino did say, "I give you something to have at the ending." So I'm, I mean, I'm not hostile towards him, but no, it it yeah. is funny though. It doesn't work. It doesn't. It work, is yeah. yeah. It's one of the biggest eye rolls in that cut of the movie, and like. I just think it's kind of ironic because, you know, not unlike yourself, James, Tarantino has been a huge champion of getting some lesser seen Bogdanovich movies screened. Right. So, yeah. like, it's it's interesting. I mean, I think, you know, Dan and I went to go see uh, they all laughed a, a few years ago. Now it was screening at Metrograph 
And yep. I, I could be mistaken, but I think that was in part because Tarantino was part of like a big push uh, to like. Well, and Bogdanovich was at our screen. Yeah, yeah. There was the Q&A. And he, that. at the end, there was a Q&A and he teared up because it was, the, he said it was the first time he had watched it in decades is what he said. And he well, and he was affected by anyway. Uh, but well, the big thing that yeah. just we can bring up to this moment because it's the moment. What he did was on Sight and Sounds, you know, uh, ten best of all time list or something like that. Tarantino put both they all laughed and Robert Culp's Hickey and Boggs on the top <laughs> ten of all time list. Yeah. Which, which again, they all. You know, I don't know if Hickey Boggs is a masterpiece, but I appreciate what he's trying to do. Just these 100%. films need to get attention, <laughs> and yeah. that was a bit earlier, but that sort of started the whole. You well, know, no, he. I mean, look, one of the things I love, you know same 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 lane right i I love how much quentin tarantino champions richard rush's films right i mean sure sure the stuntman i love the stuntman right like um uh now of course i'm gonna forget the name of the one uh that stars james Caan. oh my god yeah yeah right that's richard rush right yeah 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 so like i love how he champions um and then the mad bomber i believe was also uh was 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 uh that's, was Chuck, that's not richard rush no i don't remember oh it's not oh, okay well I mean, anyway he, he made getting straight with elliot gould i'm not sure which one he might have getting now. straight that's it um yeah. and so anyway he is great in that respect and i respect and i think to your point yeah championing something like they all laugh because because you know it's funny you bring up one from the heart earlier they all laugh they come out around the same time and Coppola and Bogdanovich kind of do a similar thing they both where <laughs> yeah they go but they both go prank up and Coppola with one from the heart he kind of stubbornly says okay well fuck you I'm not going to cut anything I'm going to set I'm going to take this film around I'm going to show in theaters and it's going everybody's going to love it and people you know don't really show up and it costs a lot of money to do that and you know um they're both kind of you know reclaimed masterpieces in my opinion and so it's interesting yeah they both went bankrupt obviously coppola kind of it was a bigger he doubles down and loses again on the cotton club but then recovers a bit more quickly i would say because he has those he has yeah. the outsiders and he has the se hinton uh, uh movies that do a little bit better so that kind of helps him but but i always love that he doubled down with the cotton club i like love that where he's like one from the heart and he's like you know what i'm gonna make it epic and he didn't like he didn't that movie got released in theaters but i the idea of just like a quasi-musical epic he did it again and then they but they cut yeah. out 40 minutes and and no, um, no I mean, it's, it's i mean i mean it was it was with with they all laughed of course it was just a smaller scale thing meaning exactly yeah, yeah. You know, he didn't build a whole studio, but just trying to do advertising and just trying to keep your movie in the theater when Warner Brothers wants the screen, you know, it's just he couldn't handle Impossible. it. Impossible, yeah. The, the, the bills piled up. Um, so then as we're just moving forward, I'm, I'm saying it was interesting. So I was a fan since 81, saw a mask in the theater with my dad. Illegally Yours didn't get released theatrically pretty much anywhere. It might have opened a couple of small markets, but that was one where we watched the VHS rental when it came mm -hmm. out. Um uh, uh, Texasville. I didn't see that theatrically. I, I, I admit that just for whatever reason I missed it. But noises off. We went opening day. Thing called Love. I bought the Laserdisc sight unseen because it was dumped, you know. But it was a good yeah, film, yeah. Uh, you know. And then and so what's going on though is ultimately, um, you know, Cats Meow. He makes that around two thousand and one, and that gets very good reviews. But the whole landscape's changing, right? More and more, it's harder. You know, there's not that mid level film. You know, nobody's mm -hmm. making a fifteen million dollar comedy or drama. It's like you're either making three million dollar films trying to get Oscars or seventy five million dollar films or two hundred and seventy five million dollar films. Right. You know, that's sort of now, become, yeah. you know the twenty first century where like 
it's not that there aren't, aren't it's an like Ethan Hawke doing something cheap or Marvel. You know, there's very yeah, little. No, yeah, exactly. Well, and, and to your point, Ethan Hawke knows if he wants to, if he, if he wants to make the hottest state now, yes. he has to be in Moon Knight, right? You mm-hmm. know, and that's, you know, and if you can be Ethan Hawke and do it, right? Like, or, or Oscar Isaac and make the card counter, like, then good. But unfortunately, not a lot of people can do that, right? So, it, it is an unfortunate kind of um, – and, we'll, and what's also interesting, and we're obviously not going to dwell on these because there's plenty to cover, but in between 93 and 01, he makes a slew of made-for-TV movies, right? He makes like a Disney movie. He makes sure. To Serve With Love 2. He makes – I think even after Cat's Meow, he makes the the Pete Rose biopic for that ESPN was Films. Yeah. No, he basically yeah. – uh, after Thing Called Love, which again – was also a film where I don't know who the original director was, but he replaced a director on it. You know, had it had started a little bit with some other director. Interesting. And yeah, that's why that's it's a Paramount film. In other words, everybody knew he could direct, but he just wasn't a hot director. Frank Marshall got him the noises off gig. And then Thing Called Love, I think it was just, you know, Paramount, I guess he'd made Paper Moon for them and stuff. They probably had a row. You know, he never sued mm-hmm. Paramount or anything. So they brought him in for the Thing Called Love. Oh, but you know who it was? Can I, can, so you yeah. know who it was? Yeah. It was? It was supposed to be directed by Brian Gibson. But he okay. left in late '92 to make "What's Love Got to Do with It." Well, it worked out. That was a good worked out for Brian. Worked out for Brian. And it worked out because because Bogdanovich got a gig too. So it, <laughs> yeah, it worked out for up. Peter. Worked out for Brian. Um, you know, but anyway, so, yes. So yeah, no, so I'm going to build up to the squirrels. Is that is that no? So he did the TV work, and some of that, I you know, like Price of Heaven. I'm, I'm writing some stuff about it. Price of Heaven is really his TV masterpiece. That's a film uh, with Lori Laughlin and Cicely Tyson. Um, and Grant Grant show from Melrose places in it. Um, oh, George okay. from Cheers. Oh, but it's it's a terrific movie. It's a movie about race issues in the 1950s. It's very different than anything else he's made in that sense. But it's the film. I would argue that that's the kind of film. If he could have gotten it to Miramax, they could have released it and got it a slew of Oscar nominations. You know, like a low budget film with Brad Pitt playing a guy who comes back home after the war. Um, it's a TV movie, but it is shot in the Bogdanovich style with the long takes and the, and the, mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. camera. Some of the other stuff you feel like where he really had some financial pressures and he was taking jobs. You know, where it wasn't like, I don't know, maybe Bob Raffleson. Some, some of these guys you would see, they would have movies premiere on HBO, like a Bob Raffleson film on HBO. They were kind of treated with respect. I'm not saying that Bogdanovich couldn't have done that, but I think he needed to work for money. So he's doing To Serve With Love 2. Mm-hmm. He's doing uh, The Saintly Switch for Disney. Um, the weakest of his films, I may boldly say, is The Naked City Killer Christmas. He did one of these Naked City movies for Showtime with Scott Glenn and Courtney B. Vance, where it's just the script is not it's not up to his level. And I think he's just trying to get through his day. You know, he's just shooting it. There's a few scenes where you feel, oh, there's McDonough doing his stuff. But, you know, there's just a lot of, um, it's a movie that involves like a murderer, but then there's like identical twins. You know, like really, really. Yeah. Schlocky, heavy, schlocky pulp stuff. You know. Wait, can I just, can I just mention, because you said Ravelson, who I love, the movie you're referring to is a movie I think is kind of good. And it's called Poodle Springs. Sure. Where it's, it's a, it's a Raymond Chan Chandler uh, adaptation where Con, James Con plays an older um, Marlowe, and it's actually it's worth watching. I like that movie a little bit. Yeah, yeah no, no, it was, it was in that period in the '90s. You would have like Paul Mazursky, you know, various guys who yeah. perhaps were not getting the green lights at the Hollywood studios. HBO found a way. John Frankenheimer, you know, they were doing stuff for them. And I was a little surprised when Madonovich got sort of stuck doing CBS TV stuff, you know, and things. But I was like, well, I don't, I don't really know all the answers, but. Um, like there are certain things like he did an episode of the fallen angels, which was a film yeah. noir show. Yeah. Pollock and Tom Cruise produced 
called Diamond Dance with Eric Stoltz and Jennifer Grey. That is brilliant. And he did an episode of a show called Picture Windows with George Siegel and Sally Kirkland, which is terrific. I mean, you know, it's like it's a totally Madonovich land. Um, so you could see where like it wasn't so much that TV, uh, you know, he could still do interesting things on TV. But I think some of the projects were just, OK, you got to pay your bills. You're bankrupt. You're going through bankruptcy. Take this, grab that. Um, so 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 basically, Cat's Meow, you think, would be sort of the comeback. But I just don't think there's a, that many opportunities in the 21st century, in a sense. So he immediately gets a gig, The Mystery of Natalie Wood for ABC, where you kind of feel it's like that sort of simplistic thinking. Oh, yeah, Bogdanovich does old Hollywood. He just did Cat's Meow. Let's give him. Yeah, it's like right in the same wheelhouse. It's it's like when yeah. Joel, Schu- Joel, Joel Schumacher joked about this, Joel Schumacher. Yeah. He wrote Sparkle, which was a kind of a film about a Gladys Knight type. Uh, and though, although he was like a gay Jewish, I forgot, he's definitely openly gay white guy. He ended up writing Car Wash and The Wiz. Yeah. yeah. Hollywood's like, oh, yeah, this guy writes black movies. Yeah. <laughs> yeah it's sort yeah. of, you know, and it's sort of like, you know, he was grateful for the opportunity, but he readily admits, I don't know if I was really the guy uh, right, to do right. all that. Um, and even DC Cab, which I love, I still think they thought of as an urban comedy. You don't get the guy. Oh, 100%. Yeah, to make yeah. DC Cab. Uh, so, so Bogdanovich does Mystery of Natalie Wood, which is underrated. It's a pretty good movie. He's sort of hamstrung by, again, just sort of like Hollywood biopics, not the most exciting. You know, you kind of got to do certain things. Um, but then the, the Nader, and I'm just saying this because, is that Pete Rose film, which is just really cheap. Um, and well, think- just for context. So that was, I remember this because I was... Um, in high school, and that was the period where ESPN was making narrative films, right? So they made like a Dale Earnhardt movie with like Barry Pepper or something, right? It was like they were making these movies, and I watched them, right? Because I I watched ESPN, right? I love baseball, and like we talked to um, we talked to um, uh, oh my god, writer of Rounders, what is his name? Brian Kaufman. Brian Kaufman. Yeah. We talked to Brian Kaufman came on the podcast at the beginning of the pandemic and we briefly talked to him about they made that show for ESPN with Eddie Cibrian called um uh Tilt. They made yeah. a show called Tilt, yes, right? Like Playmakers was like their any given Sunday football show, right? So it was I don't think it made them I don't think it was ended up being that the juice was not worth the squeeze for Disney and ESPN ultimately, so it didn't last that long, but one of the ones they made was Hustle which was directed by Doug Vaughn. Who plays Pete Rose in that? Do you remember? Tom Sizemore. He's a good Tom actor. A troubled guy, but a good actor, obviously. A good actor, yeah. yeah I think guy. he's fine. It is one of those things, though, where I don't I don't know the details, but it just feels like it was shot in Canada, you know. Um, oh, yeah. After Sizemore, who's not really the lead, the film focuses on a young guy who gets caught up in, you know, in, in Rose's world. And the guy's not incompetent, but it's just like, Sizemore is so much more compelling than anybody else in the cast. And it's it's like an 85-minute film because modern TV films have so many commercials in them. They're not yeah. even, they used to be 100 minutes back in the 70s. Now they're 85 minutes. And yeah, it you just, fit it in a two-hour It felt, you know, kind of a mess. And, you know, I saw it and I'm like, yeah, and it's not his wheelhouse. I'm not saying Badanovich never watched a baseball game, but I've never had the impression sports was really his yeah. his interest. You know, it felt like <laughs> right. a gig. Um, and so, so then... Of course, though, I mean, he's writing his books during this time, though. He's, he's writing those books, Who the Devil Made It and things like that. He's, so he's he's getting, you know, he's he's regaining his stature as a, as a person who knows film. And, um, and 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 Springsteen gave him Glory Days for the if you watch Hustle again, Glory Days is the opening credit song. So he still had his friends hmm. in high places. Springsteen does not loan out songs for cheesy movies like that. He did it for Bogdanovich, <laughs> you know, really, in a sense. Um but then, you know, he surprises because he does do things like the Tom Petty documentary. And he did not know anything about Tom Petty. 
really. I mean, he was he's more of a Gershwin guy, right? But uh, <laughs> somebody hooked him up and said, do you want to do this Tom Petty thing? And Peter said, you know, sounds kind of interesting. And I think he got nominated for for Grammys. And I think, I mean, again, he made a four-hour documentary. And wasn't that Tom was, Petty a huge Bogdanovich fan? Yeah, a producer, a producer of Squirrels to the Nuts, I know, was a producer on that. And I get the feeling... He said, hey, you know, he liked, he's like, do you want to try to see if we can get Bogdanovich for this? And Petty was like, do you think we can do that? And the guy's like, well, we can ask. So uh, huge, I don't know how huge. He definitely, Petty was like, oh, he's good. Try he definitely like him. knew who he was. And, and like, yeah, he knew sure. who he was. Yeah, it was um, more than Bogdanovich knew who Petty was. Right. <laughs> well, I think Bogdanovich has a joke. I can't, I, could, I couldn't source it immediately, but I feel like Bogdanovich had a joke where he, where he was like, Somebody asked me to do this documentary about Tom Petty, and I said, "Who?" Like I feel like Bogdanovich <laughs> yeah, no, no, like, made no, no. a joke he, like that. I yeah. think the story that might be in the Peter Punk Tonget biography, I believe, is he said, "Absolutely, I'm interested." Then he hung up and turned to whoever was in the yes. room, Tom Petty. <laughs> um, and, but again, a, yeah. too, this is where Bogdanovich is, su- is such a unique guy, though, because he really, I think, you know, whatever, whatever temptations you get in Hollywood and things like that, you know, I always felt Hollywood is two types of people: people who go out there because you know, they know about the scene and they want to party and they want to be powerful. And then you have people who like Scorsese as well as him. No, they really love cinema, whatever else. They go out there because they love cinema, you know, and it's yeah. an art form. It's not about the deal. It's about making great movies. Um, and I think Bogdanovich, you feel like, you know, he's kind of like 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 one of us. You know, it is. You know, he's yeah. a guy who loves movies and he went out there and he showed that, hey, guess what? I didn't have to go to film school. I just had to love movies to make great movies. Of, um, And then it's like the same thing. Petty and him became great friends. I mean, Squirrels to the Nuts in its proper form is filled with Tom Petty songs. Um, you know, they're mostly used in the background, but all through the movie in the ending credits, it's King, you know, King of the Road uh, or King's Highway, King's Highway by Petty. Um, it was because, yeah, they became fast friends that I think Bogdanovich whatever failings he had, he's a genuine guy i don't know how to explain mm. it you know like, like he was like so, so ultimately what i'm getting at is so when squirrels to the nuts was initially announced and this was a difficult baby to birth because originally it was announced with a very different cast i think um brie larson was originally in the imogen poots part was announced as the, in the imogen mm-hmm. poots part um what's her name olivia wilde was yep. originally announced in the jennifer aniston part as far as i know i mean i could be getting a little off owen wilson seemed to always be around but um uh eugene levy was was announced i don't know who he was gonna play but, he, but he's in a lot of the cast lists he must have on. been i i feel like he either would have been like the richard lewis character or maybe or maybe the judge um, maybe the judge because yeah. george morfogan was madonna's friend so he was always going to be in it as the private eye i would think but uh, right. you're right maybe he was going to play the judge um and then, and then there. Oh, oh, and Jason Schwartzman was originally announced for the Will Forte part. Will Forte, it's in Forte. Uh, yeah. Forte. <laughs> I think it's Forte, right? Yeah, Will Forte. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I always said. But yeah. uh, um, so, so I was, I was hearing these things, and of course, I was ecstatic because I did get the impression, wow, this is a Bogdanovich script. You know, it, it seems like enough time has passed, and enough. You know, we're now it's the point where like, any if you survive long enough, you become hot again. Bogdanovich is like whatever. We were pissed off at him. No, no, he's great. He's talented. Uh, people are, you know, good actors because you know, actors always love them. You know, actors are signing up for this. And then they kept shifting the actors, but it was it, it wasn't getting worse. Getting Jennifer Aniston, getting you know, this is perfectly good. You know, mm-hmm. okay. Um, Reese Ifans was a very late hire. They didn't quite know who to play that part, but again, he's a great actor. So uh, all's going well. So I was very excited. I'm like, okay, finally. And it seems like this is a film. It's a New York film, shot in New York. Yeah. Um, there were there were like you know, the New York Post would run photos of a sweaty Owen Wilson on a hot day, you know, drinking water on the. So so I was aware of this thing and I was you know excited as 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 could be. And then, as I mentioned in my article, 
um, whether it's destiny or fate, this whole crazy story, you know, the world's biggest Bogdanovich fan, I'm sitting in my daughter's dance school and some Chinese bootleg DVD lady comes in with her pile of bootleg DVDs and, you know, Iron Man 4 or whatever it was out at that time, you know, and mm-hmm. in the middle of the pile, she's funny that way. And I'm like, what is this? And this is like in 2000, this might have been over a year before it actually got officially released in the U.S., uh, so I paid my $5 for the DVD, you know, and I took it home and it had Arabic subtitles. I don't know if it would already been broadcast on, you know, Kuwait or something, you know, uh, and I watched it and you've seen She's Funny That Way, I guess. You probably rewatched it for this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, now, what's interesting is most people, including my dad, who's a film enthusiast and really knows films and knows behind you know, they, they're kind of like politely saying, oh, you know, eh, not very good. You know, there's some good stuff in it. You know, there's some good acting. This scene's funny. I laughed at that. Um, but, you know, it's not very good. It's just a little choppy. And, you know, and it has. And, and even if you didn't know about it, you're like, what's with all this narration? You yeah. know, and, you know, I like Imogen Poots, who's a British actress, but her Brooklyn accent's kind of a caricature and not really all that Brooklyn-y. Uh, and for some reason, in the she's funny that way version, she talks through eighty five percent. Yeah, the movie, it's, right? la- it's talking, la- laid on extra thick for you <laughs> yeah. if you want it. Yeah, and, and, and she's going on and on. And so the thing is, where I was different than everybody, or, or you know, I'm joking about this, but you'll, you'll understand what I mean. I'm like, I know I'm taking this personally. This movie's screwed up, and it's not <laughs> screwed up like illegally yours is kind of screwed up. Where I'm like, okay, legally yours is a film. He had a terrible script. He's making it up as he goes along. Yeah. But it's really Bogdanovich. I mean, you can see all through the film, but Illegally Yours does have the long takes. It, it yeah. does focus on things he's interested in. I would in. dare say, I think Illegally, uh, I don't know, you might feel differently because I think, I know you kind of like the movie. I, I watched that movie for the first time in prep for this. And I think the biggest thing with that is I just think Rob Lowe is like woefully miscast. Because I think yeah, no, I, th- I think he, he does a good job because I, I would argue. He's like trying to do a Ryan O'Neill, but he doesn't come off as like aloof or nice as ryan o'neill in some of those movies and so like i feel like it just yeah, doesn't work i mean, I mean well, we spent too much time i, I kind of defend him because i feel unlike those movies a he's in a crappy movie like, like sure, it's like it's like right. fair you know but <laughs> working his ass off to make it better than what it was yeah, but sure. it's still uh also unlike those i mean he's really in every shot of illegal yours you know it's yeah. like the whole movie is rob Lowe running around yeah but 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 regardless, it's just like I feel that that one is is likable because you can if you love Bogdanovich, there's all sorts of Bogdanovich in Illegally Yours, whether it's a misfire. Sure. And if, as I said, my analogy was, you know, I, I'd still sometimes rather have a great cake that collapses in the oven by a great chef, I mean, by a great chef than an Entenmann's cake. You know, it's sort of like it's a mess, but it was still a mess made by this guy who was aiming for greatness and he knows what greatness is. Yeah. So she, she's funny that way. It's like you could even see if you when you watch it again. You know, there are quick shots of like scenes that were taken out. So, for example, the big party climax of the film, you, you see it while she's blathering on over. You see all the all the main characters and you see all these extras. And I'm like, that can't just have been a two second scene. You know, that's yeah. like it's like they have all those people on the set. Uh, I said that this isn't a Bogdanovich film. Why? Why? You know, he doesn't shoot this way. He doesn't use a score like that. He doesn't have people talk over scenes. He doesn't. Well, um, isn't it? Isn't the score, James, isn't it the most like sub Woody Allen thing ever that score and she's funny that way it's so it's so like it's so like quasi insulting I guess it's I mean maybe I'm such a McDonovich fan I only think I'm looking for the McDonovich in it but you're right because um I was just talking I guess I did talk to a New York Times interviewer a couple days ago you know Museum of Modern Art I guess is setting up some publicity and he said yeah you know it felt like they're trying to make it more of a Woody Allen film and I'm like oh you know now that you say that I'm like I can see 
sort of like where it's it's you know even even though Badanovich did write this stuff under duress, we'll talk about that. You know, when when she's talking about how I grew up watching old movies on Channel Thirteen, and 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 oh my my dad, and I, I felt like it feels like those Woody Allen films where like lately characters just tell you everything. Yeah, <laughs> they're very they're very prosaic, like yeah. you know. And well, exactly. Um, and yeah, yeah that's, doesn't I think, it almost yeah. feel like I I so I actually had never seen it, and. I was able to see squirrels and I made sure to watch that first and then okay, watch yeah, these funny that way. So it was really fun experience to do that because it feels like squirrels to the nuts resembles, obviously certainly resembles more of a Peter Bogdanovich movie, but even outside of that, it resembles something like they all laughed, right? Yeah. Oh, and so, it, and it sure. feels like everybody involved was like, wait, but we wanted What's Up, Doc? And so what they're like cobbling it together into is not a Peter Bogdanovich movie, and it doesn't feel like one for, for She's Funny That Way. But what it what it what comes out is like someone's memory of how a Peter Bogdanovich movie might feel. And so it's just this weird, like, I, I don't it's know. It's a like, pretty uh, faulty memory. I mean, I'll give you. I, I think you're probably. But I guess. Right. I guess that's my. Yeah. To your point. Yeah. It's like faulty though, because it's it's the, it. They've like taken the wrong things from it. You know. Well, I, I felt, and and I think there was one producer who will remain unnamed because I don't feel confident that I really know the entire story. I don't want anybody suing. Sure. Anybody. sure. <laughs> the idea was that you know because in case like like Wes Anderson and Noah Baumbach you know introduced the film you know but i think they weren't involved in any money sense you know they were, mm. it was almost like they were using their names to help peter get something going you know we're yeah. sort of you know totally. we're peter's you know we'll we'll make sure you know they brought in the actors or whatever so so one of the producers apparently said or i well, not, not said but i felt like you know remember peter bradonovich made saint jack and saint jack is has the famous line where denim elliott's like well i can never pay for sex and, and then ben gazzara says uh, you know, people make love for so many crazy reasons. Why shouldn't money be one of them? Yeah. Um, and then we see in films like Texas, I mean, we see in Dala, you know, Peter Bogdanovich is very forgiving and understanding and empathetic to people like cheating and things like that. If it's if it's built out of the goodness of their heart, you know, if yeah. they're following some sort of spirit. I mean, he would be uh, one to talk, yeah. right? But I mean, lots of people in Hollywood cheat, but, they, but, yeah. no, but I'm just saying he clearly sort of has sort of a philosophy of, you know, yeah. Um, and then she's funny that way felt to me like somebody who hated Peter Bredanovich was like re-editing the film because, you know, she does all this narration where people are being punished you know, and yeah. she's like, was it right what he was doing? No, but you know, it is like, well, who, nobody asked him and, who was right. And, you know. and even with, uh, with certain like, you know, uh, and I guess we'll, we'll, I'll give a quick like plot of the movie sure, okay. just to kind of get us through it. But basically I, it, it's a fascinating thing because both movies are still technically about the same thing, right? Uh, they're just sort of framed and edited differently, but uh, it's they're basically about a Broadway director named Arnold Albertson, who is Owen Wilson. Um, he basically winds up uh, he winds up in New York prepping for a new play, which he is going to be putting on with uh, Resiphons, who is his actor. And I can't think of Reese's. Catherine name. Hahn plays his wife. Who's yeah. Catherine actor. Hahn is his wife, Delta, who hasn't been on stage in some time. And so she's kind of getting back into it too. And, and her, her and Reese Eifens may have had an affair in the past. He's and sort of that's one of those interesting things because I feel like squirrels is kind of a little bit more explicit that they did. And she's funny that way, kind of basically eliminates it or just makes it more like 
Um, maybe, and it, it's it's an interesting to your point about the uh, just Bogdanovich's attitudes towards you know in quote unquote infidelity or whatever. It when you see Owen Wilson start to do his his shtick in the beginning of the movie, where he's calling an escort who is Imogen Poots, uh, whose name is Izzy. She goes by Glow as an escort, um, and you quickly learn that. And they have this romantic night that Owen Wilson obviously pays for and all that. And at the end of the night, he basically makes her an offer of $30,000 to like change her life, basically. And you quickly get the idea. And he he, he quotes, uh, he quotes, um, what is the film that he, he quotes? He quotes Clooney Brown. Clooney Brown, American thank you. Yeah. Uh, where and it's Charles Boyer, right? Who, who, yes. Yeah, who, yeah, talking who, to Jennifer yeah. Jones, although the movie doesn't reveal that. He just talks as if it's his own speech. Yeah, right, right, right. He, you he off, you he learn that the, at the end, right? Yeah, he off the cuff says, and I'm gonna misquote it to a degree, but something to the degree of, if someone goes to Central Park and wants to feed squirrels to the nuts, who am I tell? Who am I to tell them different? Basically, is who am I to say nuts right. to the squirrels? I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah it's, that's that's like kind of where the the title of the original cut of the movie comes from, and it's a running gag throughout both versions of the movie, and. Essentially, from there, you have Jennifer Aniston, who plays a, the world's most just indiscreet therapist. I think she's excellent. I, I yeah. think it's I think very it's funny. A yeah. wonderful performance. Um, and she is Izzy's therapist, but she's also the therapist for um, Judge Pendergast. Yes. Who who is Austin, Austin 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 Austin, who's, who's also very good. And uh, she is Will Forte's girlfriend. And so well, she's Will Forte's writing the play that. that, in, that right. Yeah, that's that, the other thread that ties yeah. it together. So it's not unlike they all left or what's up, Doc, just a very like intersectional cross, you know, paths crossing and, and all that and and shenanigans ensue. And the key difference, other than things being certain elements being removed, is that she's funny that way is done in this kind of frame story where Imogen Poots is giving this clearly high profile interview. And she, in both versions of the movie, winds up getting cast in this play. So you get the idea basically in the in the she and she's funny that way you get the idea that she has already achieved some sort of success or fame or whatever and she recounts the entire thing and essentially it's what the studio uses as the band-aid to repatch everything together well james and and you know, and peter and peter wrote that though so well no that basically so so peter donovich makes this film and then i i still feel it's it's very eccentric the the editing done to it although he was involved in this process but the idea being that Somebody felt sort of very moralistic, and they, they also like you know no 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 he, Owen Wilson has to pay for his sins and and uh, mm-hmm. um, and and throughout the film uh, it also feels a bit like the person doesn't really get the jokes like like in other words all the coincidences are explained like like and she's funny that way Imogen Poots rat, rants on about how oh the judge gave me free therapy with his therapist. And it's like, I mean, I was watching Bluebeard's Eighth Wife, which is an Ernst Lubitsch film the other mm-hmm. night. And in the film, Gary Cooper is a, a millionaire who goes into a department store and Claudette Colbert and her, him flirt a little bit. And then he goes back to his hotel and he wants a different room. And the room he wants, it turns out it's Claudette Colbert's father, mm-hmm. you know, in that room. And Lubitsch doesn't try to say, let's explain how this happens. It's a like, right. And this yeah. is where, I mean, they all laugh. This, this is sort of meets, they all laugh meets What's Up Doc. Exactly. Because it has yeah, some yeah. of the emotional resonance of they all laugh. 
but it does have more of coincidences and the screwballs, the screwball hiding stance, yeah. of, of what's yeah. up, Doc. But but so you have all this stuff always explaining things where she's like saying, you know, I, I wonder about coincidences sometimes. Like the audience really needs her to talk about this as opposed to just experiencing yeah. the film. Um, Bogdanovich and, trusts his audience, and clearly the yeah. studio didn't. Was is yeah, and, and I, the thing, the one thing I want to say is, as, as far as I know, the cut you saw is his final cut. It, see, it said unfinished, but that's because he was he was um, color and sound. That's, yeah, that's yeah. the one he delivered to them, which would be the director's cut. Uh, because what happened is, is um, now I, I, once they were dissatisfied, people have told me there was an interim period where he was trying to recut it just because they were complaining. So, for example typical money people, they wanted Jennifer Aniston in the film quicker. They just wanted her in quicker. So there was some version where the movie started with Will Forte and Jennifer Aniston walking down the street and she gets called by the judge. I don't know. I don't know how that would have played, but that was McDonovich doing things that he didn't want, but it was still him doing it, just trying to figure out mm -hmm. how can we salvage right. the movie. Compromise. Yeah. And then it got uglier and uglier. And of course, because McDonovich cuts in the camera, he doesn't cover things. He knows what he wants to shoot. So just to be clear, in case anybody's wondering, you know, if he has a scene, he's like, okay, this scene, the first six lines will be with both characters. The seventh line, I'm cutting to her because, you know, it's it's dramatically her line. Eighth, eighth shot will be his reaction mm -hmm. shot when we see his, and he shoots that. And he doesn't shoot anything else generally because he knows what he wants. So you can't really recut his film. So the best they could do was add all this new footage to keep chopping things up, like to get in the way. Like, so anytime they wanted to mess with anything, you just cut back to Imogen Poots talking to Ileana Douglas, who plays the interviewer. Um, and it's baffling though, because there'll be like beautiful long takes where like, you know, the camera's on Poots and then you see George Morfogan walking behind her. And, and, and she's funny that way. You just cut to her in that stupid interview again, where she's mm -hmm. ranting about something. And then you go back to the, um, the shot of Morphogen. And so it makes it look much more like a TV movie, you know, just like, oh, you know, this person yeah. talking, that person well, talking. It's, 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 it's sitcom editing, right? It's, 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 you know, it's, it's editing to the punchline as opposed to, you know, in, in squirrels, right? The shot, you know, a running joke in squirrels is the detective um, who you just referenced is following image and poots but he's following her very closely right yeah, yeah so yeah. so it's a funny running gag where like every time you see izzy it, this old man is two feet this old her. man with within seconds will be behind her and you don't get the sense izzy does or doesn't know he's following well, her in, there at all. well yeah. in squirrels in squirrels yeah, yes but yeah. but in she's that funny that way they make it clear that imogen says that she knows that she's being followed, yeah. right? And, and, it's, it, 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 know, ruins, and it ruins, it ruins comedy. You know, the producer didn't get. It's funny seeing that. So she's like, "Oh, it, I knew he was there, it. but I kind of liked him being there." <laughs> like, okay. And also, and, and and just to just to extrapolate upon your the cutting in camera thing, which is well said. You know, as people like Spielberg do that as well, right? Like a lot of great filmmakers do it, and they do it because they're great and they know what they want for sure. But they also do it in some cases because of the exact reason you're talking about, which is it's an insurance against being recut in the edit. And the famous, the, mo the most famous version I can think of is why does The Empire Strikes Back look so much different than every other Star Wars movie? It's because Irvin Kirshner did not shoot coverage because George Lucas was trying to overrule him so much kirsten was like fuck this guy yeah. i'm gonna make the movie i want to make and i'm not shooting coverage for this fucking guy and if he wants a master he can pry it out of my cold dead hands and so when you watch the empire strikes back 
it is it's aesthetically very different from any other star wars movie you've read mike ryan has wrote written about this many other people and it's because of that and after that that's lucas hires marquand yeah and then is like and then 30 years later 20 years later he's like i'm directing it myself and it'll be in front of blue screens and i'm just going to be able to choose every background i want right and None it's just us- a funny anyway that's the example i yeah. always think of no no to your point. Yeah. I-, I was just gonna the thing is when you see she's funny that way which some people have seen although they probably forgot it if they saw it you know, it's like <laughs> It's if you do want to watch it, listener, it's it is currently on Tubi, so you can watch. Yeah, it's, for it's free. out there. I yeah. think YouTube has it for YouTube. You YouTube has it too. Yeah. Um, uh, but like you watch it, and first of all, and this is not, you know, fatal, or it is fatal, but like you know, obviously, um, they didn't want to pay for the needle drops for squirrels to the dro- the nuts because they dropped the Sinatra, they dropped the Petty songs. Yeah. You know, there, there's there's a public domain Fred Astaire song, but then there's this corny score kind of bopping through the whole thing. Um, you know something's wrong because Joanna Lumley gets the credit at the end despite not being in the movie. Yeah, <laughs> like it's so crazy. Yeah. The ending credits. That's so and it's crazy. Such a I forgot. Fun I little, forgot. It's that. such a fun little moment when it happens. Yeah, no, I mean, her, you know, the fact great. is that whoever decided, and we're going to talk, you know, because we don't want to give away the movie either. But there's a big party scene at the end, which is the key final scene. Without it, Owen Wilson kind of drifts away from "She's Funny That Way" for the last ten totally. minutes. Like he just sort of fades out. And, He's not and, in and it. Boots yeah. is like, "Oh, let me tell you what happened to all these characters." Yeah. And I don't mind spoiling, spoiling uh, she's funny that way so much. You know, Will Forte, who's the nice guy in the movie who's dating her, he gets dumped just because they need to set up the Quentin Tarantino yeah. ending. Um, and then jo- so Joanna Lumley just shows up in the ending credits and it actually says, uh, uh, it, it explains how she's Jennifer Aniston's mom because we have no idea who it is. You just see one shot of her. Um, and so the whole thing. Oh, no. So, so basically the big party scene. Um, and of course, a huge scene with Austin Pendleton and Will Forte, which starts in Jennifer Aniston's office. And that scene, while recut, is in the theatrical, but they go outside and there's a dog and there's a bagpiper and they're both making phone calls at the same time. And George Morfogan's calling. Uh, you know, they removed it. And I think largely some producer said we we need. Well, among other things, it's no longer an ensemble movie. It's a movie about a it's a Cinderella movie about Imogen Poots becoming a star. Mm, yeah. And putting her past behind her or whatever like that and then um also it's uh it's not a new york movie anymore you know because almost because i assume this is probably financial a, a lot of the exterior stuff involved will forte austin pendleton you know they probably had owen wilson and jennifer aniston for a certain number of days and they both do some exteriors but it's mostly the supporting actors who are out there doing the exteriors and yeah. i think the, the, the she's funny that way they're like get rid of pendleton because he is almost entirely out of the movie forte loses half his scenes it's like anybody who isn't jennifer aniston gets a lot of their part you know removed because aniston's part is basically there she i mean she loses a little bit at the end with her dogs at the uh at the theater and she loses a reunion with, with her mom, which yeah. I don't know why they would think this stuff, but I'm just saying like Owen Wilson's complete story just disappears after he gets punched out by Richard Lewis. And uh, so it was this crummy thing. And unlike the rest of you turkeys, right? I'm, I'm there saying something's <laughs> really wrong here. I'm not accepting well, this. And, and, and James, let me fully admit to being a turkey here because <laughs> when that movie came out and I believe it was 2014, right? Yeah. I, I, I don't know if I had it, we, we did the film stage. We all make our top tens and stuff. I think I put She's Funny That Way as an honorable mention because I was really rooting, rooting for, it, sure. for a, the new Bogdanovich movie. And I did, when it works, when, you know, when the bones of what, what is Squirrels is there, and it is, it is there in certain parts, 
it it really did work for me. So I really, really no, gave it the benefit of the doubt. No, 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 no. I'm just no. I'm just saying to to your point though. It's a good point because like I didn't even obviously. I mean, I I guess back then there was this vague notion. So weird story. I had a buddy who we went to college with who was Owen Wilson's driver on that movie. Okay. Weirdly enough. And he told me, this is 10 years ago now almost, that, oh, yeah, it was supposed to be Squirrels to the Nuts. And he was, like, telling me about it very, like, offhandedly. And I always remembered that very, like, brief conversation. So when it kind of all came back with, like, your discovery and now it's obviously being screened as we're recording, it might, you know, this is releasing releasing as as it's being screened, basically. So... It, that that conversation occurred to me, but I just remember having that feeling that it was in some ways an incomplete film, but still wanting it to be better maybe than I thought it was. And so anyway, it's very cathartic to now have a more complete version out in the open. Well, if, if, yeah. if I just say, because I mean, Connor saw it more recently and he kind of knew the yes. disaster before he watched it. But right. so, so he's, look, he's looking at it more askance. But see, at the time, because we talked about this, or I talked about this in my article, McDonavich didn't let anybody know they screwed with this movie, right? You know, he did interviews, he does a commentary on the DVD. So I I was more, I was okay. I mean, this was sadder in a way. I'm like, this is not the right movie though. But I was like, I'm ready to accept McDonavich must have screwed up really badly. You know, he he knows everything about filmmaking. So he shot something and it was such a mess. He turned it into this, but there's no, I I just knew there's no way this was McDonavich's intent. This, this 81 minute thing with the narration, with the musical score. Yeah. But but no but I I mean I was a crazy man in the sense nobody was talking I mean Bogdanovich <laughs> didn't say anything, um and but but so so years pass and because it was a two star movie at best, and it's not really you know it's not really a coherent movie it has some funny bits she's funny that way, of course he never got a chance to direct theatrically again you know he made, he got his chance with Owen Wilson and Jennifer Aniston the movie went straight to video basically you know with just basically a couple of yeah. um and and it's sort of like yeah he never got a chance to direct a theatrical film again. So I was I was obsessed in the sense because he really is my favorite filmmaker. And I do, you know, I do have like various unproduced scripts by him and things, you know. And and so so I'm like, there's got to be a story about Squirrels to the Nuts. And, and I was thinking maybe I'd find a screenplay. You know, somebody might just put up a screenplay and I'd see, oh, yes, here's the 118 page screenplay that might show me what his intent was. But I mean, this goes on for years, right? <laughs> it's like years and years and years. And nobody puts anything up because, of course, unlike older films, there's no more paper trail. We don't have press kits anymore. We don't have yeah. you know, things like that. You know, not even lobby cards, really, unless it's, you know. And so there's very little out there on She's Funny That Way. Basically, people just selling the DVD, you know. Um, and then so uh, I guess a couple of years ago, as I, he, they did a, a whole Bogdanovich retrospective at the Quad Cinema mm-hmm. um, in Manhattan. And that's where my son, in my article, I talked about my son, asked him a question about they all laughed and everything. And I met him twice. I met him in the bathroom there. Um, and the only two films they didn't show was Illegally Yours and She's Funny That Way. And so even then I'm like, see, she's funny that way. Why is he not showing it? <laughs> yeah. you know, it's sort of like, this is his last film. Like, why not, why not show it there? Um, and then, so the crazy thing is, and the story, uh, this is not in my article. You're going you're gonna to enjoy finding this out. I'm, I'm on eBay and I see this listing. She's funny that way, squirrels to the nuts, Sony HD cam tape. And I'm just like, well, what the hell is this? I'm curious. Um, $150, which is beyond my budget, just for impulse buys. You know, like, sure, well, wait sure. a second. Uh, but but I'm looking at it, and the seller doesn't have any sense. It would seem that there's anything special about it. It's just like, oh, here's a production tape for that film with Jennifer Aniston and Will, uh, whatever, Owen Wilson. 
Uh, so I'm like, well, and then I look closely, though, and I do see 113 minute running time. And I go, well, wait a second. Now, I'm assuming, again, this could be a typo. It could be a sure. tape with no sound for all I know. But I'm like, it could also be, and I was assuming like a work print. You know, it would still have like a time bar at the bottom and maybe sure. it would have bad set. And I'm like, it would look terrible. But I'm like, still, I'm a Bogdanovich completist. This, I, I'd rather see this 113 minute early version to maybe get yeah, a non-sync, whatever. Yeah, yeah. right. Now, now, the thing is, I didn't have a Sony HD cam player, which cost $10,000 or something in my house. But one good thing about living in New York City is, sure enough, in Greenpoint, somebody did it for like 100 and something. It wasn't impossible. Did you go to Digi- was it Digify? Did you go to yeah, Digify? Yeah, Digify, yep. Yeah. <laughs> I know Digify, baby. <laughs> so so the thing is, so then I, I DM'd Bill Tech, who is the, uh, the guy who made the documentary about uh, Budanovich called One Day Since Yesterday that came out about seven or eight years ago. Um, we are social media friends. We're, you know, we're better friends even now. This is about a year and a half ago, two years ago, right? I guess a year and a half ago. Um, and I just say, you know, uh, there, there's this tape called Squirrels to the Nuts, but I knew about the title change, but it says 113 minutes. Is this something I should be interested in or curious about or whatever? You know, he writes back 10, meter, well, 10 minutes later. Holy shit, that might be the Lubitsch cut. <laughs> Like, so so i'm like still like okay what's the lubich cut i mean i'm aware of the reference but i'm like i didn't know the story and he says he um you know he says well while i was making the documentary and this is the first time i heard of this he goes uh they were having some troubles with the producers of squirrels to the nuts that that you know like madonna should be on the phone with me and and poor louis stratton who's his ex-wife but still best friend who'd co-written the film with him she was right. on the phone with the producers in the background like having very heated conversations and so uh i'm like wow all right well um okay i'll i'll, I'll take the risk I'll, I'll i'll buy this tape again um the the, the two funny aspects of that was a I'm poor enough. I still tried to lowball him. I offered him a hundred dollars, uh, you know, because I, I was nervous though. Because once you want it, I'm like, somebody else is going to buy this in the next three of minutes, course. right? Somebody else is going to yeah. see it. Uh, but I did notice, as far as I can tell, it had been up for several months. So all you guys had a chance. You know, we all, like, yeah, we all and, had a and, shot. And and so I offered a hundred, and the guy accepted the hundred immediately. So I was like, all right, I don't think this, you know, nobody seems to know what this is, if it is anything, you know. Um, and then the next thing, of course, is, well, who saved this tape? Because since, as it turns out, to make the long story short, nobody else on Earth still, as of this point, seems to have a copy of this cut of the film. That McDonovich didn't have it. His editor, That's Pax Walserman, who was also his son-in-law, didn't have it. Um, you know, so whether or not the producers removed him and just didn't let him have access to it, you know, I, you, you romanticize the story. Maybe somebody working in the production house said, God damn it, I got to get this thing out of here. I got to get one copy of this thing out of here yeah. um, just to save it. Because, you know, that being said, if they had done that, you think they would try to contact with Donovan. Well, and it's a good point because we're not talking about 1962. This is like 24. You would think there would be a cut that somebody had like you're talking about yeah, yeah just back, totally. even backed up on a hard drive or something so like on a well, server like, apparently yeah. not yeah. <laughs> i mean the time the timing yeah. the timing is perfect because obviously an older film would not be available to get an hd copy like this because you know it'd just be film hanging off of a you know it's like no the fact that there's an hd pristine copy of his director's cut without time bars is a very modern sort of development but you're right like wouldn't it be on a hard drive but um so then the other interesting thing is, because we did later on, I asked the uh, guy who sold it to me, and it turns out he's a guy um, who 
basically it's like that tv show he goes to like places storage lockers where people haven't paid their bills and he just uh bids to get oh, storage wars yeah but he, but he does it in new york city like in soho south and and uh apparently and, and he wrote me a very you know very friendly guy a very very nice guy um you know he's gotten chuck close paintings he's gotten huh. it, 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 he, there was one where he found six thousand ecstasy tablets or something oh like my that, god you know? um no but i mean he, I mean, he brought it gave it to the police or whatever but it's just the the idea I that he it. found a lot of paint he gave them 500 995 yeah, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just he told me 6,000 maybe they were 16 <laughs> yeah. but, but he um he so, so he says like it was in some storage locker so it's like okay well the person didn't throw it out but on the other hand they didn't have it on their shelf at their house like i would like oh my gosh this yeah. collector's item so maybe it was just somebody working on the movie you forgot he had or something you yeah, know? yeah. but 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 so the guy, so I buy it and it comes and I, I left this stuff out. I'll give you a little exclusive information. So Digify, which you know, good people, they're very friendly. So they give it, they give it back to me. And I'm like, okay, so I go running home to see what the hell's on this thing. And I put it on and there's no sound. Uh-oh. And I go, oh my gosh, did this tape not have sound? Now I saw instantly it was the New York City skyline and all that, but I, you know, so I'm like, okay, this is different though. But the running time was 89 minutes. And I go, oh my gosh, is this going to be the same movie, but like with, you know, different credits or something, which is still mildly interesting, but also with no sound. But then the airport scene begins. So I had no sound, but I'm like, wait, this is a completely different beginning. There's a scene in an airport with Owen Wilson and Austin Pendleton. That's not, and she's funny that way. So I, I call up Digify and they're like, oh yeah, we screwed it up. <laughs> I was like, okay, well, thank God, I guess. And so, so then I had to wait another week for them to do another draft. And so what it was, is it was running like 25% too fast. That's why there was no sound. And that's why it was 90 minutes. <laughs> so, so, so I finally that's get the fascinating. a week later and it's 113 minutes. Has, and Frank Sinatra's New York, New York is blasting. Right. I mean, I can't believe the producers paid for those opening and closing credits and then didn't use them. I and mean, they have glorious shots of the New York skyline in the morning at the beginning and then at night at the end um yeah uh, it seems I, I that's where i just felt like somebody hostile to badonovich was just messing with this picture it's like it's like we already have this footage but let's make the critic uh, the credits on black you know it's, it's basically and it's, yeah the credits are yeah. an indicator too because and i guess this is where i brought up my opinion before about the what's up doc thing in terms of maybe that's what they had in their heads because you watch those credits and that's what it feels like, right? Like it feels yeah, like somebody, similar, yeah. yeah, it feels like somebody looked at a what's up doc poster and was like, yeah, we want that. Right. Or whatever. Right. When, when you watch, when you watch, she's funny that way. And when I see the opening credits of squirrels to the nuts, like it, it feels like they all laugh. Like, I don't know. Like it feels just yeah. like a movie from the seventies or something. Well, like, that's, I mean, I just sort know. of feel like it's almost, but he's announcing he's back. You know, yeah, it's like, I'm yeah, back it feels, yeah, it feels like a, I mean, a true return to form. Balls. It takes yeah. real balls to start your movie in New York, New York. Cause if the movie sucks, it's going to really feel sucky. Sure. after that song. You know, it's, point. Like, yeah. it's like, he's like, I'm playing the greatest song that exists and, about yeah. the city. And you're um, and, right, Jay, the, such a good point about it being his first like fully his script with 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 Stratton, right? Because yeah. Louise Stratton is co-credited and yes. and and um his obsessions, his since themes. yeah, it's since but his first one since they all laughed. It's true. That part of it, which frankly I haven't yeah, you might mention you might have mentioned that in your article, but for you saying it, I'm like, yeah, wow, that's crazy because there are so many movies, TV, theatrical, whatever, in between, and it is so interesting. Where, yeah, I mean, you can tell, 
And even so, just, you know, in your article, obviously, you reach out to him, you, you, you get in touch with him, ultimately, and you tell him, hey, I have this, I have yeah, this well, I mean, lubich cut. Yeah. Please, yeah, yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Please. yeah so yeah. basically, so the tape, the tape is, and I watched the movie, and it's a great movie. I mean, what, again, it's, it's, it's fascinating, because to me, it also shows because, you know, I was ready to believe, OK, maybe he's a director. He's not in his element anymore. It's not his world mm-hmm. anymore. You know, now you watch Squirrels to the Nuts. And I think the worst you can say about it is, OK, you know, so somebody if they don't think it's a classic, it's still a, a really good movie made by a director with all of his faculties intact, though. I mean, this yeah. is an ambitious film with uh, 15 talking characters. And it's, good, and- it's good to hear yeah. you say that, because part of the reason we do these kinds of episodes when we do them is that's kind of the main question we want to kind of try and answer is like just looking at somebody's last movie and and figuring out like did they still have it you know and 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 look bill when we talked to bill gabiri with eyes wide shut you know when eyes wide shut came out that was one of the running narratives because you know kubrick died before the movie got released one of the running narratives was like he lost it cruising kidman stole the cut from him you know arlie ermy came out remember he was like Stanley called me crying and said he couldn't handle these superstars and these, you know, these horrible people, right? Like that was a running narrative. That's, I mean, Eyes Wide Shut is my personal favorite movie uh, of all time. And and so I obviously disagree with that notion. And we talked to, we talk about it. So it's, it's a great starting point because there is that thing of like, you know, do these masters lose the touch, right? And to your point, you could watch She's Funny That Way and kind of go like, ah, shit, Peter hedged at the end. He just didn't have it. He kind of, he tried something that didn't work and he hedged the edit. But then when you see squirrels, you could not say that, even if it didn't fully work for you. And it would have certainly worked for film. me. It could have came out in 1975. Yeah. And it probably yeah. would have been a hit. That year, yeah, you know, no, ex- exactly. Like it would, yeah. we would be talking about it. Yeah. At, at worst, like they all laughed, like it would you be know, like a movie yeah, that no, we'd be like, oh, it was a masterpiece and nobody saw it yeah. like kind of thing. Yeah. I mean, and I really feel and then this is one thing I feel if if his cut had come out, even like it's sort of an art house release, you know, playing in Manhattan and playing at the film festivals. I think Jennifer Aniston could have got an Academy Award nomination agreed. for Best Supporting Actress. Yeah, I agreed. think it's hilarious and it's a unique part. And for all the reasons why people get nominated, I think it hits those buttons, you know, yeah. slightly different part than usual for her. Um, and so I don't I really wonder why they had to wreck it so, yeah. so much. There's so um, much. Um, it's the and maybe you'll disagree, but I just, squirrels is so much more venomous than than she's funny that way in terms of just it. Everything's got a little bit more bite to it. Um, yeah, and except and I, for yeah, I agree, sorry, but I, I would say, no, but it's sort of a humanist too, meaning nobody really suffers in the end. You know, like and they all laugh, like there's some bittersweet, but it's like you know, I don't want to give it away, but I'm just saying, just knowing his work, very rarely, you know, like like he doesn't judge like Saint Jack. He does, you know, Ben Gazar is a pimp, but he's a great guy, right? You know, yeah, and, yeah, and you, yeah, can, exactly. you can kind of see though the premise that he really does treat his women with respect. It's almost like, well, they're going to be there anyway. He's the one who treats them with respect and cares sure. about them personally. And then Owen Wilson, part of the gag is. He is a good guy. All these hookers he keeps giving $30,000 to is saving their lives and they're going out and doing things yeah. with them. I mean, you know, um, and so he is a sweethearted fuck up. I mean, you know, it's, it's, right. not, it's not like we're not yeah. you know, saying he does the right thing. But see, one telling moment is the long take um, of him calling the escort service mm-hmm. early in the film, which is pretty similar in both versions. That yep, they actually it is. The long take. However, they do drop the Tom Petty song in the background. And... <laughs> and um, She's funny that way. If you watch closely, some of the dialogue Catherine Hahn and the children have is different. They didn't yep. re-loop it. Um, 
But at the end of it, you know, he's talked to his wife. He's he's made the appointment for the escort. He puts the phone down and he has this look on his face like, I know this is wrong what I'm doing, but I can't stop myself. And so no, he doesn't, you know, he's very upset. He feels guilty about Catherine Hahn just getting off the phone. We know. And they cut that beat out of the scene. Yeah. She's funny that way. Um, so that's where you could say, I, I know what you're saying. You're right. At some level. It's it's more of a real movie. It's it's more venomous and more heart. You yeah, know, there's just you know, yeah. I guess what I'm saying is that there's just more nuance to it that gets completely yeah, nuanced. Well, look, in, in, in James, you said this earlier. You know, Bogdanovich made a career out of those dichotomies in his characters, right? I mean, that's what makes his movies so indelible and timeless. Is you know, when you go back to the last picture show, which I rewatched last week, right in pe- preparation for this, like every character is there's a more than a few things going on right all the yep. way down you know all the way down to um you know the ellen burston character right and, okay. and you have there's so many layers and you couldn't say any of those people are bad people right i mean they have motivations they make mistakes right and i think throughout his films he's always playing with that i mean really the only like you know genre villain and even this is a stretch because there's obviously a social political thing he's getting at is the you know is the shooter in targets right because he's just a psychopath but even that he's playing off of the tower shootings right he's playing off of the moment in the 60s right so even though that guy's obviously a full villain there is an examination behind that character that you're not going to get in your usual you know, B movie, you know, second reel, whatever scenario, you know? I mean, there's a lot of eccentric notes, uh, like in Squirrels to the Nuts, you know, once uh, Imogen Poots' prostitute proves to be the best actress for his play, you know, the oddball choice, he has to, yeah, she is the best, I'll hire her, even though it's going to really doom him. Like, ruin his life. And and then, like, and then, like, even at the end of the film, she's, or not at the end of the film, but I mean, as it progresses, she's like, you still think we're going to do the play? He's like, of course. You know, it's sort yeah. of like, these, no, you know, like, the well, best... no, Argus is paramount. Well, I love that he's like, of course, we're professionals, right? Doesn't he say that? Yeah, yeah, I, yeah I, no, he does. And, and it's like, even at the end, when the rehearsal's going badly, but Catherine Hahn still shows up to rehearse, you know, it's like, no, yeah. we're, we're doing the play, you know, it's just how, how crazy it's going to be. And this is where I kind of felt, it does sort of feel like one of those El Dorado, you know, where you were the summation, because you do have like the theater stuff of Noises Off, you have the you know you have the they all laugh new york stuff you have the wacky comedy um and it's so it's it's, as i said to peter uh which i guess maybe i'll tell the story chronologically so before i tell you what i said i i I got the film i got it back now luckily the modern world i mean it's sort of like the internet's a horrible thing but it did help in this case because bill tech i was able to become friends with bill tech and bill tech could get in touch with peter and bill tech wrote peter something like basically like hey uh in case you were wondering, some guy in New York, I mean, who's a really good guy or something like that, you know, uh, he's got squirrels to the nuts. And so I find an email. I didn't know exactly when he did it. I didn't know it was coming. I just, you know, Bill said he was going to talk to Peter at some point. I get this email from Peter McDonough, where he's like, what? You know, what is going on here? Um, I think I was getting scammed or something. If somebody sent me that, I'd be like, ah, delete. Like, you know, like- <laughs> well, but he, know, he knows Bill yeah. Tech, so he trusts him, you know, and so that's one of those things where, where and then he's like, because he says, I want to know which cut it is. And I'm sitting there. I'm like, no, I'm pretty sure it's your cut. I mean, I was right, but that just shows how much of, I'm like, Peter, this is your cut. I'm watching this thing. It's unfolding without dialogue. Yeah, it's like, I, you know, yeah, I love your movies. Yeah. Of people surveying other people and, uh, um, and but I guess as it turns out, there were many interim cuts. That's what I didn't know that he yeah. didn't have, you know, try. So so then he goes, that's the cut, you know. And so Peter's famous for his, his um 
his impressions. I'll try to do mine. So my phone ring ones rings one night and I pick it up. He goes, Hello, James. And I go, Yes. He goes, This is Peter Bogdanovich. And I'm like, Oh, uh, hey. And then he, how the fuck did you get that picture? <laughs> you know? And again, it's not, he's not even Scorsese. I mean, it's not fair, but yeah. because so many of his movies are PG and stuff, I'm almost a little bit like shocked. Yeah, you're like, you're <laughs> not allowed to curse, Peter. You know, they all laughed as, as, as adult themes, but almost no cursing. You know? yeah. <laughs> I was kind of like, what's going on here? So, so, point. so, um, yeah. And that's what I mean, where he was just really, uh, like amazed. He's like, how did you get it? I'm like, I don't know. It was on eBay, <laughs> you know? And, uh, um, and so we talked and I, you know, I was like saying, you probably get tired of hearing these things, but he did say, you know, it's all the world to me, James, you know, he was doing a Jimmy Stewart impersonation at the moment. <laughs> Jimmy Stewart once said, it's all the world to me. Um, and so the thing is, is just from that point forward, as I discussed in my article, uh, I sent him the movie. So again, this was, I just sent him uh, an MP4 and I sent him some Blu-rays, you know, what I had um, of it. Um, and he, and, and, and basically he was, he just remained a good guy. I mean, he emailed me all the time. He sent me, a, you know, Christmas card, email, Christmas card. You know, um, uh, he sent me his unproduced scripts. Wait for me and and uh, um, one lucky moon. So you know, these are some things I'm going to write about soon. So we can talk about that stuff. Wait for me is the one he's been trying to make for thirty years, and it's a it's a, it's, it's incredible. That's the one originally it was announced with John Ritter and Sybil Shepherd, mm. and it's about a director whose lover has died, but her ghost keeps haunting him. And but he's a director with like six ex wives, and the whole movie it's a, no, it's a crazy <laughs> comedy. And I'm actually I was like one that like oh no this one actually. It, it it aged into actually being really it would be great for today because it has a lot of ghost stuff and i'm like that's the one thing the cgi could really help him with sure sure is you know there's like you know he gets in the shower and a ghost comes through the wall and another ghost and it's it's a crazy movie again he loves ensemble pieces you know it's like 25 characters um so he was sending me these scripts and 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 um that one had been around for 30 years but one lucky moon was a recent one you know and uh so so it's like he was 80 years old but like again scorsese is about the same age coppola they're all yeah. still out there and i think the best thing i can say quickly is it's terrible that he had to die but i think it's much better that he spent the last 15 months of his life with this film back in his proper form it's Amen. like he was you know, it's, better, it's sad yeah. but it's better to die no well having said, something well to live for than just waiting for death it's like it's like he said to me my lost child has returned and it, and That's you know, bad. and I can't believe it. And I think I quote, he's it's such a good picture, but it wasn't ego, it was more just like, oh thank you. Oh, of course. Like I'm not crazy. I made this film, I thought yeah. it was right <laughs> for eight well, years. And um and then and, I and asked him, I'm like, why didn't you talk about it though? And he and he said, he said, uh I mean he said quickly, he said, Well, lawyer's advice, which was you know, you can read a lot of it. <laughs> sure. But but the, but he, but I think the inference was he was getting to direct again. He was directing Owen Wilson and Jennifer Aniston in a film. He was, I guess he was born in 39. So he was 75 or something when he shot at 74. And I think he was just, a, you know what, even if this one falls apart, I want to get another chance. And he thought maybe I don't want to be seen as difficult. Everybody knows I sued on mask. Everybody knows the difficulties when they all laughed. Um, I haven't had much of a chance to direct in a long time. If I go to war one more time, it's going to be people, people are going to stay away with me. I mean, I, this is partially me extrapolating, you know, he yeah. said these things, but, um, but of course, I, and when I said to him, but that the trouble is people, if people saw squirrels to the nuts, they'd know you can, you know, you still direct as well as you ever did. Hmm. She's funny that way is kind of a mangled thing. And he was like, yeah, yeah. You know, he, so it's like, he knew by this point, it's like, oh, you know, um, 
and and the funny thing is, so sure enough, as I mentioned, because if you, as we can mention, she's funny that way. Ends with Quentin Tarantino showing up as if this is a happy ending. He's sweaty. He's talking like he's on speed, which maybe is natural state, but it's just a very yeah, strange thing Quentin, in the movie. Sure. He shows up. He grabs Imogen Poots. Uh, he's like, come on, we're going to be late for the Sonny Chiba Film Festival. And I'm just like, I don't really think Sonny Chiba was going to come up in any Peter Bredonich films. And and Peter said, well, well, no, he came up with that. But I was, you know, it, it was like since he was playing himself, you know, I, I figured Quentin should say what he wants to say. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and and but so the thing is, Peter directed all that. So that, that's going back to the point. So, yeah, Peter never left the project because he just desperately wanted to have, keep it his project as much as he could. So he did shoot that interview footage but you can see it's shot very quickly because it's all over the shoulder which is mm-hmm. never the way he shoots her she talks and then you cut back to iliana douglas when she talks it's all tight close-ups yeah, yeah, shooting coverage like, for the first time yeah, shoot, <laughs> yeah. well i don't even know it was really coverage other than they just had to shoot probably a day they had a day yeah. to shoot so he's just doing one camera on one one on the other i think poots has a wig because her hair was probably different by that point because she it's not the same hair she has in the movie so right. yeah it well be a wig which you know it's okay um and, and and it just, it doesn't work. And so he, um, a couple of things I'll say, because this is interesting. Bill Tech mentioned this. I hope, I don't think it's indiscreet. That he said that like, you know, uh, Peter and Louise, it was like, it was just, they became closer again because it's probably, it was probably a very tense situation when the movie was stripped of them and didn't come out the way they wanted to. And it's just this year having their, I don't want to be too, you know, their shared child, you know, the mm-hmm. thing they made together back. It's like, they were both very enthused. And then Luis is a, is a sweetheart. When my family had COVID, she got on the, she called, or no, I, I had called that time, but she got on the phone. You know, she got on the phone. She said, James, I want to talk to you. How's your family doing? You know, uh-huh. so they, they both, um, you know, they both just seem so, I mean, who knows about Hollywood, but they were genuine. They were sweet. They were, they were never, never, you know, I cannot stress enough what you did for me. You know, he would talk that way. Mm. Uh, and, and the sad part is, and I'll just bring this up because it is sort of part of the story is, again, it, it was like there was no no money involved or anything, but it was like he said, you know, because um, you know, I'm, I'm thinking of doing a book of my humpback movie reviews. We talk where movies that are sort of imperfect, like Illegally Yours and mm-hmm. like Blake Edwards, A Fine Mess and Looker and things like that. And yeah. he's like, oh, of course, I'll write a forward for that. You know, and there's a lot of nice stuff that we were talking about that, of course, isn't going to happen. Um, you know, just because of the situation. But that being said, obviously, because not Pete, you know, Peter was a friend, but I was like, well, what happens now that, that he's gone? What's happening to the movie? Mm-hmm. You know, because what happened was there were music rights issues that putting the Sinatra song back in uh, and the Petty songs were complicated because back when he made They All Laugh, Frank Sinatra was his personal friend. And so he gave him New York, New York, and I think four other songs for like $5,000 total. He's just like, okay, can you afford 5,000? And Peter's like, yeah. But at this point, Frank Sinatra's long gone and, and Nancy Sinatra's 82 years old. I think the lawyers are in charge now. You know? So mm. it's it's kind of like, oh, you want New York, New York? That'll cost you, I'm making a number up, you know, half a million dollars or whatever it is. Right, right. Um, Probably close, yeah. So, so I think one reason, in case you're wondering, although I can't really officially say this, why is my copy still the only copy that, that seems to exist? Because they're showing my tape in MoMA. That's what they're showing at yeah. the museum. Um, is maybe because it took them so long to get the music rights cleared up, and apparently they did get them cleared up. Obviously, they did. Uh, they weren't gonna, you know, they weren't gonna spring for any expensive DCPs or anything like that until they knew they could make, you know, they could keep the songs in the movie. And apparently, apparently, the ink's still dry on all that. In other words, that's it. Just sort of, you know, because it's it's showing this quickly because Peter passed away. I think Peter was still working on it, and it may not have debuted until later. Mm-hmm. Sure, it was Peter's schedule, but since he passed away. Um, the good news is, yeah, Luis and I guess Peter's daughters are good stewards and they were able to keep it, um, the process going. 
and they were able to set this up because uh, because Peter does have friends and fans. I think Dave Kerr and various people like reached out like, hey, we'd be happy to do this. If, um, but as far as I know, yeah, the music rights are OK. So this will just be the first step that this film will yeah, hopefully it'll get a blu-ray or get, and... play, i mean whether it's going to play festivals around the world or get a little right i have no idea you know because that's where it, yeah, it's at this point peter had told me um you know off the record that a distributor had agreed to uh to take on the film i don't want to say because i'm not the person to say it uh, sure. and that's, i think the article mentioned the joke that the title was ridiculous it was like squirrels to the nuts peter Bogdanovich's director's cut of she's funny that way you know it's yeah, oh long was the official <laughs> title but he was laughing but i'm like i think he was like i'll settle for that if it means the film <laughs> if the film's sure. coming out they can call it that all they want so things were going well except for the music rights meaning that they had to figure out how to get the songs at an affordable rate to keep them um because again and and that, that's what i mean that that is his final cut because I don't think he, you know, he's never going to add a score to it. None of his films have scores except for Nickelodeon has a little bit of that silent movie type. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah, that has a little bit and, of the score. And, and Noises Off has a little bit of music during some of the transitions, like from from like the first act to the second act. <laughs> but but again, Noises Off was not a personal project. But if you watch it again, the second act of that film, it's like a three act film. It's the closest he ever got to making a silent movie, which I think, you know, because it's it's they're all backstage where you're not it's my allowed favorite. To this, that middle part is my favorite part of that. Yeah, movie and they're running sure. around yeah. and it's all visual comedy and long takes. He doesn't use any music during that, you know. So I'm just saying that I think with with this movie, it was really just I'll do my usual thing. Sound effects, songs on radios in the background. So I think when like Pendleton and uh, uh, George Morfogan are in a car, I think it might be a Louis Armstrong song playing on the radio. Um you know, and then during the ending credits, the the Tom Petty's King's King's Highway comes on pretty loud. I, I got the impression, although I'm not the expert, that the Petty stuff came. Yeah, he was good friends with Petty and Petty's widow or whatever just signed off. But I, I yeah, that's nice. I was going to say because obviously Petty's passed since as well. You know, well, that's um, so many. I mean, now Peter's passed, but it was just front. You know, poor old George Morfogan had already passed a few years ago. Right. Um, and did so it's just uh, Pen didn't is Pendleton still alive too? Pendleton's still alive. I have no idea what what could, but I mean, he's definitely alive. And like two or three years ago, he was in a play. So I mean, even in his late seventies or early eighties, he was still alive. right. God bless. I haven't That's heard great. much about it um, now, but yeah, it's no, such no. a great it's such a great tale. And then to your point, and you know, it's so well said. It's a sad ending, obviously, because because we've lost Peter Bogdanovich and he was a master. He was still working, like you said. But the silver lining, a significant silver lining is this thing of you kind of discovering this version of his movie that was his version and him being able to receive it, you know, in that last, you know, year and a half of his life and have that joy of. Hey, it's not lost, right? Like, well, that's. I mean, it's a great final. Obviously, you want this to be his final work. Not she's funny that way. It's completely, yeah. you know. And we should know. say, you know, he did direct, right? The Great Buster Celebration is his this documentary about. Buster well, his Keaton. documentary, yeah, no, his, but, his, but his, which you know, is quite, it's pretty straight down the middle. I mean, I watched it. It's, it's, you know, it's, it's documentary, document, doc, documentary about Buster Keaton. But, but in terms of, it's a good last. It's a really good last narrative film. I mean, I think in the world of great directors last movies i mean it's pretty it's strong up there. yeah it's very yeah, strong, pretty strong. I, I mean i mean i mean again remember it even as you know you know austin pendleton comes back tatum o'neill does a, a cameo i love the tatum o'neill cameo. Um, i love that cameo. george morfogan was a regular you know it's back in the city he loved the film in. it's uh um you know i i just feel that's where i felt like the el dorado where he's really touching a lot of his themes and a lot of his 
Um, and it's sort of like and everybody kind of gets redemption. Everybody's, you know, even Jennifer Aniston's hooked up with Reese Ifins, even though she's a pretty ridiculous, not a particularly pleasant character. But it's like, well, she just had to find the right yeah, guy for her. If there is a villain in the movie, I think it would be her. I think if we're yeah. if we had to place a villain. But um, yeah. And then. Oh, and then we haven't even mentioned. I think it's worth mentioning um, because I think people who saw she's funny, they would they have no idea. It's how different a movie it is. Steven Dorff is in this movie. Yeah, he's not in it. He's funny. Oh you know, Joanna Lumley yeah. actually has a scene with dialogue. Yeah. You know, it's, it's not um, crazy stuff like that where it's like uh, and on Twitter, it's funny because, you, you know, there's a fan. I have a Steven Dorff fans like what? What does a movie with Stephen Dorff? Yeah. I'm like, well, it is. It's a cameo, but it's also a good cameo. It's, it's very it's not funny. It is a good. Like, he has it a is funny a good scene cameo. Where he gets the, you know, if you like Stephen Dorff, you want to see the movie because he has a he has a funny bit. And um, and so ultimately, yeah, it's a terrific. And and the story really is sort of a a fantasy story. I mean, if if you said, oh yeah, here's a guy, pick your personal favorite filmmaker that you know. In the last year of the guy's life, you're going to become a good friend. Not as you know, but I mean, we we, yeah. we probably spoke on the phone seven or eight times, emailed 40, 50 times, whatever like mm. that. You know, that's awesome. Um, and just talking about movies and talking about life is my article. He did talk to me about you know politics and this and that and the other thing, and talked about you know how idiotic it was that you know Musk went into space or whatever. You know, like that. Yeah, he, right. he, so so it's just like that that I was able to personally return his movie to him. It's like two. It's it's you you would never buy it if it didn't actually happen. Yeah, no, <laughs> it's, it's, very, it's it's some bucket strange. list stuff for sure. Yeah, and then and then the idea that there's there, there might be you know because signs that you know whether I'm I'm being melodramatic here for humor, but like you know Dorothy's trying, but like because he would talk that way, he does believe in you know that, that there's signs and, and things mm -hmm. in the life. He did believe that very much. And then after he passes, uh, you've probably seen some of this on my Twitter feed. Um, I was aware that he had shot this television pilot with Scott Bakula that nobody's ever seen. It was like the last thing he made that I had never, that I had not seen. I've seen everything. Now that I found squirrels, I've seen, I've seen everything yeah. else. And uh, it's a show called Prowler. Um, and it was a pilot, which, you know, uh, that Scott Bakula, uh, Bakula had produced in 1995, I guess it was right after thing called love. Um, and so, uh, somebody who asked her, you know, I was able to get my hands on a copy of it. Um, and so, but what's funny though, is that weekend for no apparent reason, again, on eBay, somebody was selling a copy of the script for that pilot on, on eBay. <laughs> I mean, it's, like, it's like a show that wasn't even released. Nobody knows it. Some guy was selling it for like 25 bucks. Just shadow like, oh, benefactor. And I, I just feel like, you know, somebody was guiding me towards that too. Cause yeah. obviously it's going to be a much better article as I can read the script and look at the show and see what he did. So it's, it's one of those things where I'm just like, what if Peter's sitting up there? Okay, here, here's your power script. Jim, yeah, yeah. The article. Because you know, <laughs> one thing that you, I, I'll leave you with is is he did very much. I, I, he was going to talk to me. This is what I meant. Talk to me about it for an article about his TV movies. I was going to try to write a sort of comprehensive discussion of his TV work because he was very, um, you know, he didn't like write it off. He wanted to actually put a box set out. He wanted to try to get a box set out with some mm. of the best stuff in it. Um, and he would say the the, the 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 line that I think I've used in some of my promos is, "Oh yeah, nobody saw them, but millions of people." You know, in other words, <laughs> and nobody talks about Price of Heaven, but a, a movie shown on CBS on a Thursday night, even if it came in third, it still had 12 million people watching right. something like right. that. Well, <laughs> yeah. well, I'll tell you, I'll tell you what, you know, preparing for this talk, I was going through everything and I had that moment of like, oh, I love to Sammy switch like I because <laughs> I would have been, you know, 10, I don't nine. And like. 
it was a Disney Channel movie, and I really liked it. I remembered it being like the like you know I was a kid. I remember it being like Vivica Fox, David Allen Greer, like that whole movie. And it was so funny to go back and be like, oh, let me try to watch some of these. Like, definitely want to watch Texasville. Definitely so, are you watch- saying that Saintly Switch was actually your introduction to Peter Bogdanovich? Well, well, <laughs> well, well, actually, yes, yeah. because that would have had to have been the first movie yeah. I watched. Of course, actually, that's a good point. But like, but totally in preparing. So to your point, James, about his his comment, I was one of those millions of people, right, for that movie in particular, of like just like loving a you know a Disney Channel movie. So it's nice that he, you know, recognized them in whatever capacity that means and wanted to put out a box set. I mean, yeah. I think that's what's yeah, it's great. Yeah. No, no. It, it, well, the thing that was interesting, I actually made this point to him, and I'm going to use it. I'll use it in my article, but I'll throw it out here first. Is at some level, if you want to study the TV work, and you know, he, Peter obviously had a great connection to classic Hollywood in the old. It's almost like that was the closest he was ever going to be to being like a studio director, where you're getting okay. assignments. You know, it's not like he's sitting there as an auteurist making Daisy Miller or even a Dale Laugh. It's like I'm working for Warner Brothers this week. You're directing Saintly Switch. Okay, this week you're directing Price of Heaven. Yeah. This week you're directing it, and and it's like. You know, like some of his favorite stuff, like Dime a Dance was the film noir thing he shot for the Fallen Angel show. It's like as an auteurist director, he would never would have made a film noir of that sort. But it's right, sort of like right. he was given, provided the opportunity in TV and you could tell he loved it. OK, I'm, I'm going to make my 1940s uh, Cornell Woolrich type type thing here, you know, right. um, and Price of Heaven. Um, I think he realized a little bit, you know, especially he was very happy. I think he mentioned this in his book with Peter Tonget. You know, he got to work with some of the great black actors of Hollywood, Sidney Poitier and then Cicely Tyson. Mm-hmm. And again, they, they weren't box office by that point. You know, you weren't going to make theatrical films with them. It's just it's just a fact, in a sense, as the leads. But TV movies, he got to do a film with Sidney Poitier as a lead. And he got to do a film with Cicely Tyson as, as a lead. And, um, you know, Saintly Switch is like silly, but it's like, OK, now I'm going to do the classic uh, Freaky Friday you know, it's, yep. it's so I, I'm not saying, you know, like I said, in my in my opinion, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll you know, Naked City, Killer Christmas and The Hustle, the Pete Rose film. Um, again, Naked City, if you watch it, there there are scenes where you're like, oh, that's sort of Bogdanovich. You know, there's like a long take where the characters are walking around the police station. But the script is really idiotic, which he which he readily assented to when we talked about it. Sure, sure. Um, and Hustle, I just felt like at that point he, he just wanted to work and he got a, you know, a decent gig, you know, but um. But but that a lot of the TV stuff was like, you know, when he had enough time and the idea was good enough, he ran with it. You know, there's there interesting stuff in that, you know, so, so all that hopefully will come out again. He's because that's the plan, you know. And look, it's so great. Like we said, yeah, hopefully that's, you know, a proper release, uh, a physical release or streaming release of um, Squirrels. That would oh, be yeah, great. Yeah. So we'll see what happens with that. And then and then your article about Prowler. Uh, if you're listening now, you can probably read it as we are talking. Yeah, it's going to be published in the next day or so. Uh, yeah, okay, yeah. on Tremble. Yeah, so on TremblesideWonder.com, right? You, you can read it there. Yeah. And then I wanted to ask you, though, just because you know so much about Bogdanovich. Right. If, if someone's listening, you know, to, you know, we have a lot of, you know, the film stage, we have a lot of young yeah. budding cinephiles, let's say, who read our stuff and whatever, right? So my question would be, what's a, what's like... If you're talking to someone who wants to get into Bogdanovich and they haven't haven't seen much, what's yeah. a good starting point? Do you think for, for I, a I would argue, and because I, I think I saw this when he died, and I was sort of like watching on Twitter to see what people were saying because a lot of people were watching his films after he died. I would say now it depends on temperament, but if you, if you're looking for a film that almost anybody could like, would be Paper Moon. You know, pa- Paper mm, Moon, like yeah. Last Picture Show, has a very dark 
things to it. I think most people would watch and say, oh my God, this film is blowing me away. Uh, and What's Up Doc is hilarious, but Paper Moon is just touching and funny. And it shows him, you know, it, I mean, Tatum O'Neill won the Oscar because of that seven minute unbroken take where they're in the car arguing totally. and they're looking at the map. And so you have his kind of takes. You have Madeline Kahn, you know, one of his great co-stars has a great part in that. Yeah, man. Um, it's a beautiful film. And like I said, it's it's like it, it's it's uh, and, you know, so I think, you know, Paper Moon. The trouble is too many idiots are just like black and white. I'm like, no, don't be an idiot. Just give it a chance. <laughs> you know, it's like, it's gorgeous, first of all. And second of all, because I think, so that would really be, I mean, again, as you said, last picture show, what's up, Doc, that um, if if people like, if you know, if, if you have people who are horror fans or suspense fans, they could definitely start with Targets because Targets is a great movie. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, again, I, I, I think his best films, you know, uh, you know, last picture show is sort of, you know, Paper Moon, but, you know, St. Jack and They All Laughed are his kind of eccentric, you know, uh, kinky, you know, just 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 not not necessarily for all taste type films. I mean, which is unusual because I mean, They All Laughed, as I said, it doesn't build walls. It's it's sort of an open film, but it also doesn't do anything to coax you over the bridge. It's kind right. of like, hey, either you like us or we, you don't. We're not yeah, going to give you right. me as I am kind of thing. You have a bunch yeah. of gorgeous people running around New York. We're going to shoot New York City like it's never been shot. Um yeah, the plots, it's not really about plot. Whereas, I mean, in a sense, yeah, Paper Moon, Last Picture Show do offer more conventional structures. Right. But Paper Moon is the one I think we're again to like, just because I saw people were like, wow, I watched Paper Moon. Wow. Because of a couple issues, unlike Scorsese, who worked with like Robert De Niro when he was young, who's still a major star. A lot of Badanovich's early films, you know, they star Ryan O'Neill and Burt Reynolds, who, you know, kind of went out of fashion at a certain point. So it, it wasn't like, Throughout history, people have always been going back to check out Robert De Niro's early performances. Where Ryan O'Neill, point, yeah, Ryan O'Neill's no Robert De Niro, but he's excellent in Paper Moon and What's Up Doc, and you know, wow, uh, that's that's a that's a great actually. I had not thought about that because even Sybil Shepherd, who who obviously has Sybil and Moon uh, lighting in the eighties and nineties, so like people knew her, but she wasn't a movie oh, no, yeah. star. And no, and I mean no. Jeff, Jeff Bridges is big, but Bridges one, is just, the only one. Like but like Godfather, Timothy Al Pacino, De Niro, they were in a lot of films. But, like, you know, and, but you're right. Other than Bridges, like Bottoms ended up kind of just becoming a working actor. Sybil yeah. Shepherd became more Barry of a Brown TV personality. Unfortunately, you know, from Daisy Miller, and you know, he was. Just, oh and, yeah. You know, and uh, and Reynolds was a star, but he became kind of a joke for a while in a sense. Yeah, the eighties, the eighties were not kind to Bert, right? The eighties were know? not kind, and to even so the Zara, like. You know, was a character actor. Yeah, too. exactly. Yeah, you know, and giant. Yeah. I mean, so, so you know, and Audrey Hepburn is in the all laugh, but Audrey Hepburn's not doing her glamorous shtick in a sense. I mean, she's kind of playing a straightforward part. No, and and so I I feel this is where, I mean, Bogdanovich is sort of a delicate filmmaker. You know, he he does things kind of quietly. He does long takes. Scorsese's, of course, is equal or even is better, but Scorsese's more announces himself, you know, with the editing and the music and things. So that's where I feel sometimes like Bidanovich, when he does like a naked city killer Christmas, when, the, the material wasn't really his material. I don't feel he really, you know, how am I going to make this play? You know, it's like, it's like he's not into violence. He's not going to shoot that in some of the sort of slam bang way. Um, so his films don't always reach out and smack you in the face. It's sort of like you have to, you have to sort of make the effort. Oh, this isn't black and white. Oh, this one doesn't have really a strong plot. You know, like, like St. Jack is sort of just a two hours in the life of a guy you, you follow him. Um, 
So in a sense, he's sort of in between. There are parts of him that are like Cassavetes, you know, where he's unyielding and does what he wants. Uh, yeah, I was just going to say that, especially with some of those movies, you'd be, if you had no idea who directed like St. Jack or something, you know, you'd be forgiven yeah. for for mistaking it for a Cassavetes or something. Yeah. But have, have you seen have you seen Thing Called Love, the River Phoenix film? Yeah, 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 yeah. See, see, that's one where it's sort of like it's a two and a half star script or whatever. You know, it's it's mm-hmm. basically a fairly serviceable story about a young woman going to Nashville. But I find it's it's one of those films everybody seems to like it because McDonough directs in a quiet way, but then you keep coming back to it. You know, there's so much in it, and just to, from the staging to the to the what he decides to focus on to what he decides to underplay. That I, I know a lot of people like it's like they're passionate about thing called love, which I'm not particularly passionate about. It's not my movie. Mm-hmm. I'm a little older, maybe. You know, I'm like a laugh guy. But I, I like a friend on Twitter who's from England. He's like, they think thing called love, man. It's great. I'm like, I'm not going to argue with them. I'm like, I think it's right. very good. But, but you, just, you are right yeah. that it does. That movie yeah. even retains some of like the murkier, nuanced relationships that we were talking about and and things like that in terms of like the. River Phoenix, Dermot Mulroney, Samantha yeah, like Matt, in the end, they're like all friends. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. Well, and Bogdanovich, and also, you know, he knew movie stars when he saw them, and you can tell in that movie he's he's squeezing everything he can get out of Sandy Bullock because he knows what yeah she's given right. him. You know, yeah. And I, I mean, I not every be, director is uh, going to do that. You know, yeah, no, no. She's great, and I think you know the the, the Mulroney. I mean, these were all top actors, and I think he. um it's just the sort of thing where like though he makes this film and he likes that you know his endings are bittersweet you know sandra bullock is leaving them and we're kind of i often find that he throws it's like i call i would call his film sort of like gang comedies to use a term david mamet once used where it's not the same as an ensemble piece because an ensemble could have a bunch of disconnected characters like short uh, gang comedies like you're watching a group of people coexist whether it's the the new york friends and they all laugh or the people in Singapore and St. Jack or noises off with the theater company mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. thing called love. doesn't have really strong dramatic impact either, but you just, you enjoy being among these people and you feel kind of sad. Oh, it's over. Like diner is like that. Yeah. Right. Like a more, a more acidic, probably you don't want to hang out with these people, but in a more acidic version of that is the rules of the game. Right. Where it's like, you have like, people together you want to have if you want to hang out with those people no, but. no Matt, Matt used it in referral referring to glenn gary glenn ross he was talking about there his own go. play yeah. you know but only angels have wings where you have all these people in the jungle running that airplane you know the, the yeah, airport that's a good one. uh and i that's think that's what Vidanovich loved and so squirrels to the nuts when he had his own choice again it's about a group of people who have some issues but it's like these theater people and you know and like so owen wilson like you know oh when when dustin hoffman's son is like i'm an actor aren't they great and owen wilson's like yeah that's just what i was thinking or whatever <laughs> you know it's like as a director he's driven nuts by actors but of course he loves actors yeah. you know, it's just that they're yeah. all gonna drive each other crazy um and so i feel Bogdanovich films it's like just watch them because some of them you might even go oh yeah that was pretty good and then 10 years later you realize you've watched it 15 times and yeah. you and you love it because he doesn't hammer you over the head he's always going to just kind of be like here's the world i've done everything i can there's so much detail work done here that you're not really thinking about that's not calling attention to itself but it's there um and that's where squirrels to the nuts has all that and she's funny that way is just a mess because it's not honest to what the, the material was man, it's somebody recutting you're it so perfect. it's so funny man you're so right about that like as you're just talking about i mean and i i guess i know that like I, I hey you must be a good teacher because you're saying these <laughs> things and i'm like and I'm, you're saying them and i'm like yes of course i know i knew i know this like i've seen all of his movies now and of course you're right 
But the way you're saying it is so true because now I'm just thinking about like recent movies, not even that I necessarily dislike, right? I'm not talking about like, you know, they're not all red notice, right? Or whatever, right? Like, my, <laughs> but my point is like, but even the ones that I like, you're right. Like he has that old fashioned thing. Like I recently like love the old, uh, the original love affair was on movie, right? And I just put it on because I love that movie and what have you. And even that, Right. I'm going to be talking about Warren Beatty in an upcoming podcast uh, with some buddies. His his kind of misbegotten remake from 94 of Love Affair, even if you were to teach those two movies, it would be an example of what you're talking about, of like overplaying your hands cinematically, where it's like in the original Love Affair, that end scene where she's on the couch, the camera isn't doing anything once you're in the scene to like intensify the fact that yeah she knows she doesn't want him to know and all it's just sitting on a master for the most part and letting the scene play out and when he realizes you've almost resigned yourself to think that he won't realize right and it disarms you because you just because the camera's not prepping you for it it disarms you and then when he realizes it's heartbreaking and i'm like half re-watching it while i'm like doing work because i've seen it a couple of times and i'm like watching that scene no totally knowing what's gonna happen and then that happens and i it breaks your heart all over again and you're totally right the way he directs his movies it's so disarming because he just and even like the end of last picture shows like that where it's mm -hmm. kind of it's fading out you're like, oh, yeah, OK, you know, maybe bottoms will get out of here. You know, you're having these thoughts. And then the thing happens with the kid and you're like, and you don't it's, you know, it's from his perspective. Bottoms is Sonny's perspective from far away. What happened? We don't know what happened. And then the the disregard with which the kid is, you know, the, the whole, I don't want to overly spoil it, but it's this tragic ending. And Bottoms' performance, it like sneaks up on you. And you're so right. All of those things, it's so, it's so masterfully kind of, he doesn't, he's not forcing it on you is the well, thing I, I feel question, like. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. yeah. I Sorry, wouldn't question any, you know, it's like, you know, people have their own personal type of director. Steven Spielberg is a brilliant director, but I also, I'm a big fan of his 70s work. I'm a fan of West Side Story and some of the recent stuff too, but. I, I, I'm more of a big Donovan guy, meaning Spielberg, if there's a moment that's emotional, John Williams's music's going to be all over it and the camera's going to zoom in. It's going to be as, as well done as it can be doing that. And But but it's like Bogdanovich, if you like listen to his commentaries, he laughs, he even goes, I, you know, I feel it's cheating to use a score, <laughs> which is which is really eccentric because, you know, those old Howard Hawks films, they had scores. You know, it's, it's like, right, no, Bogdanovich, right. they say, oh, he loved, no, but Bogdanovich's films are very unique things. And like even the ending of Mask, which I, we might have talked briefly about on Twitter recently. I forgot if we were yeah, talking. Yeah, yeah, we were talking. Me and yeah, you, yeah. That, that, I mean, there's a movie that if Spielberg had made it, there would be music swell. He'd oh, find God. a way to make it great. But the whole last 15 minutes when Rocky Dennis dies and Cher's dealing with it, there's no score. And there's there's, there's there's long takes. There's no, you know, it's like he has a couple close-ups of her face, but it's just, he's really counting on his own intelligence and the intelligence of the audience that, that it's a, it's an incredible ending where she's throwing things and breaking the light in the house. And then she's just sort of crying over his body and, and it's lacking so much of what Hollywood demands. Now that's one reason he sort of got out of favor is you don't have film people running this. Like when he made last picture show and Bob Raffleson, I believe told Sugarman or Schneider, or whoever was running, don't worry, this is going to work. 
it's going to cut like butter. I think that was the direct quote. Uh, Schneider accepted it. You know, it's, it's like right. today, I think you have these conglomerates where people don't even know what movies are half the time, or they just have a basic, yeah. you know, it's like, no, we need coverage so we can recut it. In fact, shoot it in front of a green screen so we can change the background. Yeah. yeah, <laughs> you yeah. Know, like when, um, and so he was sort of out of time. And that's why it's beautiful that you do see. But in the 21st century, he, you know, once he had an opportunity, he had the cast, he had a script he liked, he, he pulled it off. He did his thing one more time, you know, in a sense. And, and Cats Meow was 21st century too. So there you go. He did a couple of good things in the 21st century. But, but Squirrels to the Nuts, I think, is more his thing. He likes humor. I think Cats Meow was kind of dark in a way where he directed it very well, but it wasn't really his... his um, yeah, I like I like the cat's meow. He's definitely oh, I, sure, yeah. yeah, he the performance he gets out of Dunst is kind of an early, you know, it's an early harbinger of where we are, you know, now hopefully, you know, you know, oh, potentially great, Oscar yeah. potential Oscar winning Dunst. We'll see. You know, I feel like it's probably uh we'll see. Yeah, no, no, the cat's meow is a very good film. I just I just a couple of things. I actually thought it, it one thing that kept it from being a masterpiece. I mean, I don't want to keep you on too long is that no. Christopher Plummer was originally uh, cast in the part of Hearst. He was the original oh, Hearst. Oh, that. But he st- he stepped out because of exhaustion, like a week or two weeks before. Oh man. man, was it her? It's Herman, right? Herman. Edward Herman. Edward, Edward Herman. Herman. I don't. But Edward Herman. To, uh, this is unfair. But uh, may he rest in peace too. But I feel Edward Herman is actually rather one note in that part. He's sort of a carry. He's kind of big and and oafish. And I feel the very film big, suffers yeah. a little because. Dunst and Izzard, who are excellent, are kind of sidelined for the last 25 minutes, the way the script's constructed. The last 25 minutes is Herman running around and getting Jennifer Tilly on his side. And they're yeah. the more caricaturish characters. And I yeah. feel Catherine yeah. doesn't quite hit a home run because Dunst and Izzard were really the heart of that movie for the first 75 minutes. And they're just kind of in there, you know, go to your room, stay out of this. The one, I don't, I think yeah. Plummer, Plummer might have kept, you know, Plummer might have kept the ending stronger for me because he's... Imposing. He's great a movie star yeah. material. That's interesting. That's yeah. Um, yeah. But, uh, yeah. Definitely. If you're listening, check out the cast meal, just because even the true Hollywood oh, story, movie. it's yeah. about the Thomas, the Thomas, the death of Thomas Inns is, is so fascinating. Um, but, um, but, but I don't disagree with you. I don't, I don't disagree with you on that. Um, Edward Herman, who speaking of Timothy bottoms is in the paper chase, bringing yes. it back to the beginning. Um, but I, oh, I would like him fun. in the Lost Boys. I mean, he's a, he's, a, he's, a oh, he's great. In he's great. In the Lost Boys. Yeah, he's great. I but, just want to mention before uh, we let you go, um, your your Twitter is well worth the follow. You're on on Twitter at JF Kenny. In in the article and in our podcast notes, we'll tag you there, and obviously we'll tweet about this, so you'll be able to follow him in any capacity if, after you listen to this episode. Um, and um, and. Yeah, I guess hopefully. what are what are our final Bogdanovich thoughts? I mean, I would I would just start by saying, um, it's obviously it's such a blessing that Squirrels to the Nuts is in the world, and it's awesome that it's screening, and it's um, heartening that hopefully it'll see like we're talking about a myriad of releases and kind of proper finishing and all these things where it can kind of be seen by the masses, um, and I think. Yeah, all you just all we just talked about is such a kind of a great final note, which is to say you're so right, Bogdanovich. You you know we, you know final frame, final thoughts. You know you know Squirrels to the Nuts is a great encapsulation of what he did, and it is this weird, um, this weird alchemy of a guy who loved the old Hollywood movies, but 
in making his version of those films employed at the time newer techniques. And that, that, those two things congealing create, I, I don't even know of another filmmaker who you would say makes movies like Bogdanovich, right? I think that speaks to him as a filmmaker, right? Like, who would even you compare him to? <laughs> I think he's very know. quiet, but he's as singular as, as Scorsese or, or you know, any exactly. guy who, uh, you know, he, but it's just... He, he very much, I mean, I, I think I mentioned, and not just me, I think this was the general sort of consensus when he died, is just this... It really does feel like one of the last remaining threads between now and then is just gone, yeah. right? Oh, like, yeah. and, and I yeah. think just hearing you guys talk about it and rewatching a bunch of his movies in prep, like that is all over his body of work. Like, not even just in who he was as a film appreciator in terms of how he, you know, the interviews that he gave and 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 his work as a chronicler of you know great films, but. Um, but yeah, to, to your point, Dan, like just the way his movies feel, it, it just does feel like this weird evolution that brings that gap. And, and, and even like, and not, not, not to linger forever, but, but, but even like in mask, right. When Sam Elliott arrives, it is scenes before her, him and Cher have dialogue and only in their looks at each other. Do you know they have history? Like there is nothing there. I feel like if you made that movie now, there would be like, "Hey, share. Did you hear that? You know, yeah. God is coming for back." Years, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, um, and I just love. Yeah. You don't need it. You don't need it. He doesn't no, want he, it. He knew how to just show. Like he knew how. Well, to that's just why. Show. Yeah. You mentioned this. I'm actually just at the finish up. One thing I'm doing, I'm allowing myself this as I did this whole thing and saved this movie. I'm just saying I'm showing one of my classes, both squirrels to the nuts. And she's funny that way. And to discuss, well, which do you That's prefer? Awesome. What are the changes? Why? Honestly, let us know how that goes. Yeah. I'm like, Please, James, yeah. uh, email because, us or let us know. Yeah, because yeah. it's it's sort of like I'm curious to see students who are not necessarily film enthusiasts, but the, you know, again, they were curious. They all know who Owen Wilson is, and actually, they know who Catherine Hahn is. She's relatively hot these days with the WandaVision and all that. They all kind of yeah, sure. Know oh, right, right, my horrible right. kids all know her. You know, so that so the idea just being that you're going to see because yeah, for people who've seen, she's funny that way. I would just finish like I assure you, you haven't seen Squirrels to the Nuts. I mean, never mind. Right has a different beginning and a different ending and different character fates footage you saw is going to feel different you're going to, it's, it's yeah. going to have a completely different vibe to it because of the the different universe in which it exists so uh and yeah so it's essential as as, as you said final films of it's like this his peter Bogdanovich's final film is a peter Bogdanovich film if you end up hating it so be it, but it's a Peter McDonald's. Yeah. You know, I'm just saying it's like it is it is him running with both barrels or whatever the bad analogy and whatever the, the metaphor is. <laughs> it's him shooting with both barrels, whatever. Um, and I think, you know, if, if anybody who's into cinema would want to give it a chance whenever they can see it, whatever forum eventually. Um, yeah. It's an adult making a film that's that's even broad and silly sometimes, but it's not talking down to you. It's just an adult film that wants to make you laugh, you know? And uh, mm -hmm. that's actually the last thing is that Bogdanovich said that he didn't know about the Ukraine war, but he was really saying, I really think this film can come out. I think people need a laugh. And he was referring to COVID, you know, it's mm -hmm. like, he was, he was just like, I really just think this film, you know, it's, 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 it's a, a film that can make people laugh. And I'm like, yeah, Peter, you know, I, I agree. And I think, so it's not that he was reaching out to make, you know, I'm going to make a film that is the last picture show too, or something like that. Yeah. It's yeah. just, I'm going to make the kind of film I like. And I think deep down, 
his favorite kind of film is that gang comedy <laughs> it's sort of like you know a bunch of people that are basically likable getting into some, some screwy situations where he doesn't judge them too much it may fail it may succeed but kind of that bittersweet optimism like he kind of you know there's always that kind of darkness around the edges but he's also sort of you know, life goes on at some level, you know, and, and I think Squirrels to the Nuts is, is really a summation or a, or a, a perfect enca encapsulation, I should say, perhaps, of, of what, you know, if you liked his other stuff, I, I can't see you not liking this if you are a big Well said. Agreed, agreed. Well said. Well, you heard it from him, James Kenny, the man. Uh, TrimbleSciWonder.com is his website. And like I said, at JF Kenny on Twitter. Um, uh, it felt like a great final word, James. But one more time, is there anything you you, you want to plug, promote, whatever before we send this up? Man, I teach I teach five days a week. I do this writing stuff for, for fun. So basically, <laughs> just uh, yeah, I mean, keep a lookout because what you know, I, I am working uh, you know with, with Luis and some things on some future things, which I'll let people obviously know about eventually through Twitter and through my site, and and um, and I'll keep publishing articles about 1980s films like a fine mess that nobody likes but me. And, you know, and, and I've been reading them, man. I've been reading wrong. your articles. I love, I love, I love your articles. I've been reading them. I love so, it. so, so yeah. So I'm just like, yeah, I'm, I'm with you guys. I'm in the trenches. I'm just going to keep doing stuff and let's just keep at it. <laughs> and we, yeah, and we should then, say, uh, James, correct me if I'm wrong on the dates, but just if you are in New York and, oh, yeah. you, would and you would like to see squirrels to the nuts, uh, it's playing at MoMA. Um, from March 20, uh, sorry, 28th to April 5th. And I believe James, you're presenting the first screening of it, correct? March 28th. I'll be introducing the first screening on Monday, the March 28th, but it is That's running several days beyond that. So if you want to avoid me, do it at all, do it at all. You know, feel free. <laughs> <laughs> just go, go see the film, support the film. You know, just no, go but, on Tuesday. I'll be there Monday. I won't be there. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, you, it will be available for you to watch. You can check it out. And if you want to do what we just did with it, like I said, you can find She's funny that way uh, online in various places as well, if you want to do the the compare and contrast. But um, James, thanks again, man. This has been sure. just totally Great. awesome. And uh, and we really appreciate your time. Uh, Dan, any any just final words from you? No, no. Thank you, James. This was amazing. Um, as always, I'm at DJ Mecca on Twitter. Um, uh, the story podcast at Fathom Stories. We write little short twilight zoney stories we got a new one coming out next week or the week after rather um so follow that if you like that type of stuff and then as ever connor i'll throw it to you to, to wrap us up yeah so uh you can find uh this podcast on facebook and twitter at tfsb b-side you can uh, shoot us an email if you want with any questions comments concerns suggestions uh, at b-side b-s-i-d-e at thefilmstage.com uh, if you like what you've heard, uh, please do rate, review, and subscribe wherever you are listening. Uh, as this is dropping, um, the Oscars are this Sunday. So if you do want to kind of have a little bit of fun with that, uh, you can listen to the episode we uh, dropped just before this with Joe Reed, where we did our little Oscars. Uh, you know, we looked at some B-sides from Oscars past, which was kind of fun. And uh, we have a forthcoming episode uh, with our friend Luke Hicks talking about the B-sides of Ethan Hawke. So that'll be dropping after this. But, um, but yeah, James, thank you again. And just remember, there are no old movies. Only movies you've already seen and ones you haven't.